Good evening and welcome and good afternoon and good morning to all you pod like a holers out there. Welcome to a rip roaring episode of a space podity pod like a hole presents a look into David Bowie's discography by rolling the diamond dice in random order. And this is one of your hosts, Mark, always joined by my two lifelong friends. I have Steven. Hello, tonight I'll be playing the part of Gary Oldman. And I loved you in Bram Stoker's Dracula. Thank you for that. Um, and and uh, then please, also- <laughs> please, please forget all of the uh, more recent things you've heard about me. I am very much a, a, a part of your lives. You will always be the one true Commissioner Gordon. And then I also have Eric. Yes. And I uh, tonight I'll be playing the role of Tilda Swinton playing the role of me. Let's, uh, it's kind on. of like a I'm not there situation. Exactly. Yeah. Actually, I thought of that. She was in that, wasn't she? Was she one of the Bowies? Or I'm sorry, was yes. she one of the Dillons? No, I think it was oh, no. Kate Blanchett. Oh, there you go, Kate. Yeah, it was old Kate. Yeah. She may have played Andy Warhol for all I remember, but I don't know if she was in it. She's a good, good, much like Mr. Bowie, a chameleon. I get her mixed up with a lot of other, other people, but she's a uh, she's a friend of the show. But She basically does, oh, yeah. she does, she does her version of Bowie as like the angel in that Constantine movie with Keanu Reeves. That movie is better than anyone gave it credit for. Even at the time, I wasn't a big fan. And I'm not just saying this because we all decided we love Keanu Reeves and we do, but it's a pretty good movie for, for what it's trying to do. I think our biggest problem with it is that, um, the, um, the Hellblazer comics of which I am a huge fan. I own the entire run of the original comics. Um, I think just the fact that he, Back then, it was what the late that was the turn of the century, and we were still in that phase where when they were making a comic movie, if they weren't doing it pitch perfect, we'd throw a fit. And by now, I think we've all gotten over that. And if you go back and look at it, it was right. a pretty good movie for what it was. Um, and so he has been successfully baited and hooked, and we're already off track. Oh, that's uh, that that that's <laughs> I got I can even get us further out to sea here. Um, so speaking of Commissioner Gordon, Mark, you really think that uh, Gary Oldman was the best Commissioner Gordon? No, it'd be the the guy that was in Tim Burton's Batman. He gave us a signal. <laughs> Pat Hingle. <laughs> Pat Hingle. Yeah, I think he had like three lines. Was he in all four movies? Yes. Um, I believe yes, he was. He was. He and Alfred were in all four. And he had no, no, no character development whatsoever. It's a sh- it's a shame uh, but- they wasted a. Uh, J.K. Simmons on those damn Snyder movies because uh, he could have been great. But uh, yeah, I, yeah I, but I'm hey. actually I'm, I'm due for a rewatch of the uh, the Nolan trilogy. I think I was thinking that earlier today, but I'll save that for my other podcast. But that won't be the last time I bring up comic books tonight. Fantastic. Anyways, did we ever- guys, it's great to be here with you. Yes, we're all introduced. Here. Uh, here we are. Uh, we're talking about it feels like it's been a while. God, what do we what do we, uh, what album we're, we're talking about? Um, hours tonight, right? Hours is that the album? Oh boy, Uh-oh. I did the wrong math. No, it's the next oh, day. Fuck. All right, well, I'm gonna I'll, I'll play along like I listen to it, but no, I've been I've spent the last three weeks listening to hours, and I gotta tell you guys, that's uh, I really regret some life decisions now. Um, I'm joking. <laughs> no, the next day, yeah, that's that's what we're doing tonight. We're only doing. The proper album, correct? 
There is a bonus <laughs> disc, but we'll we will spread that into a second episode because that's it's it's kind of its own album in itself. So yeah, it is, and even there's some bonus tracks here. And I, I got to be honest, um, I'm I'm ready to talk about the next day, and I uh, delved into it and I enjoyed it, and I did kind of attack the extra stuff, but I haven't been able to really uh, scrutinize it like I'd like to. Um, this new this new position at work is really, really kicking my ass. And uh, don't worry, everyone. I'm not going anywhere. The podcast will never suffer. But uh, we're, we're, I'm having to learn to pace myself a little bit with how much time I devote to uh, sitting down and taking notes about songs. So there you go. I don't think our listeners are going to be sweating that there is a that this is a two-and-a-half-hour episode instead of a three-and-a-half-hour episode. So... <laughs> Uh, yeah I'm, oh man i hope but we've got we've got a lot of great content coming up we've got you know this it's episode true. by the time you hear this episode well you've got this episode and then shortly after that you're going to be hearing about the uh, the extra disc which is a whole other album and by this time you're going to hear our b-side about side projects which was a uh a blast that i that i had a recording with you guys and then um that was was that last week side projects that was yeah. the guest appearances. Guest appearances. Jesus guest, crow. Yeah. Well. And I just <laughs> uh, wrapped it up, and you'll be seeing that uh, very yeah. soon. So I finished editing that guest today. Guest appearances was fun. Just wanted you to know, in case you didn't know, Peaky Blinders is back. So. That's a, uh, that's a, uh, that's a, that's Bowie related. He was a massive fan of that show. They're also a, a sponsor of this show. So thanks again, Peaky Blinders and Netflix. Yes, yes. yes Netflix. Well, <laughs> so, yeah, looking Mark, forward for the, right, why are they going to give us our live our live show on Netflix? I've been waiting for it. I I, I honestly can't remember the last time we recorded a, a a proper episode, and I feel like I got at least a month's worth of of Steve zigzagging all over the map out of my system. So Mark, you can take us back, chart the course. What <laughs> what next? All right. So. Uh, what is next? We're, what we're talking about tonight is obviously the next day it was released in 2013. Um, Steven, do you have any Bowie news and the Bully, Bowie Bulletin that we need to get to first, though? Three things. Uh, one's a uh, Nine Inch News and two Bowie Bulletins. The Nine Inch News is that they, uh, they premiered the first episode of Watchmen at uh, New York Comic Con this weekend, and everyone loves it. And I, I made a specific point to ask a friend on the, uh, the Facebooks, uh, a Mr. Bill Z, how the music was. And he gave me a, a gif of a woman giving a thumbs up. So it sounds like Reznor and Ross knocked it out of the park once again. Good enough for me. Looking forward to that. Uh, the other thing, uh, one thing's a headline that I'll just read it. Uh, Deborah Harry claims that one time David Bowie flashed her for giving him cocaine. So I'm going to assume that was a uh, consensual transaction that she said, Hey, David, if I give you this cocaine, please show me your John Thomas. And that's what happened. So that was in people magazine this week. And, uh, either yes, you I any, read that. Do you have any feelings I, about that? You just show her a still of the man who fell to earth. Cause <laughs> yeah. you get a little peek in. I didn't get any cocaine for it either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She, she didn't seem she didn't seem too upset about it it was it was just another fun night out with uh bowie and iggy pop yeah, yeah. and uh in some more distressing news 
It sounds like uh, the estate of David Bowie, and whomever that is, if you're listening right now, you better knock this off. The estate of David Bowie is uh, withholding some kind of uh, title or credit from Robert Fripp as a major, uh, a featured player on Scary Monsters and Heroes. So he's basically being listed as a, like a guest musician and not a featured player. And Robert Fripp isn't hurting for money, but he is claiming that's bullshit. Uh, Brian Eno, David and I had a great relationship. We all collaborated on those records. Very, uh, you know, all hands on deck together. And I wasn't just some session musician. This is malarkey. So uh, that upsets me. And I hope that the David Bowie estate gets uh, comes to their senses and gives Robert Fripp the proper credit he deserves for being a major cornerstone of those two records. Come on, Duncan. Do or is it Iman? What do you think? It might be. It could be. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna withhold something from someone, though, why Robert Fripp? Why not a? Uh, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Why not? Why not Earl Slick? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> He'll be on. Not the last time we're gonna talk about Earl Slick tonight, but yes. Yeah. Yeah, Peter Frampton. That would be. That would, no, that would no, be. That would be for you. Can't, Fripp, you can't. You can't separate. Yeah, you can't. Robert Fripp. There's a reason I always, you know. Go Gaga over the guy. He's a major part of the sound of the major sounds on those two albums. So makes no sense. Yes. Agreed. Well, I'm glad to, I know that they're listening. So this whole legal issue should be wrapped up in the next week or so. So I appreciate right, you bringing it up. If it doesn't, Steve. I'll bring it up again when we talk about the next album that we uh, dissect, which is, uh, we haven't rolled the dice yet, but if I feel the winds correctly, it's going to be the man who sold the world. We'll find out later. So, Eric, what can you tell us about the year 2013? Ah, it was an innocent time. Barack Obama was president. Um, we were living in peace and harmony. Um, popular movies of the year. Oh, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> wait a second, wait a second. I just mentioned earlier, <laughs> goddammit, that I've been working longer hours. And uh, I, know Mer- I know that the, the, the Mark is always working a lot. And I know as a teacher, you barely work. Um, so here's the thing. We already talked about the year 2013 in a previous episode. What was it? Help me uh, out was here. that uh, the, uh, not the actual events? No. I don't no. want to hesitate, but I want to say it's hesitation, Mark. You got it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. We already went through all this shit on the hesitation marks episode. So if you want to hear about the movies of the day in the sports and uh you know what the sex symbols were you can go back and listen to that and as a matter of fact if you haven't listened to it you should just be diving into our back catalog because i think there's a lot of quality content there so we're not going to talk about the year 2013 tonight i'm sorry you go listen to the hesitation marks episode moving right along eric hey what was David Bowie doing? David Bowie um, had been uh, AWOL. He, uh, well, not not literally. Um, I mean, people knew where he was. But uh, 10 years earlier, actually, maybe it was even 11 years earlier, during the reality tour, he suffered a heart attack on stage and spooked him, and he was done. Um. He, uh, like I said, he was around, people saw him, he made appearances, but he was 
uh, for all intents and purposes, people assumed he was done for sure touring. And, um, and it turns out he was done touring, but um, I really didn't expect much more uh, music. So as a David, as David Bowie fans uh, at this time in the, uh, the timeline, all three of us were actually David Bowie fans. Did the, did either of you think he was done during these days? I kind of did. If you ever thought about it, I kind of did. I I knew that he probably wasn't going to tour anymore after that scare uh, with the reality tour. Um, But honestly, I thought that he would just kind of quietly just fade away that he wanted to then focus on his young daughter and just raise the family because he probably realized, shit, man, I'm getting old. I can't just keep doing this. I'll enjoy music, but I probably need to focus on my family. So, yeah, I kind of did think that it could have been he could have called it a day. I kind of didn't. Yeah, I I, I kind of thought I'd hear from Bowie again. I kind of knew what happened, but I didn't follow it super closely. And I was just like. I wasn't like hitting the 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 message boards every day looking for, you know, is Bowie going to recently release something new? But I kind of just thought there can't be the end. There has to be something else. Yeah, me, you know, if I ever sat down and thought about it, I probably thought he pulled a Gene Hackman on us, which he it seemed to have been the case at the time, to where Gene Hackman, who's one of our greatest actors, just kind of quit acting and didn't tell anybody. And then like five years after his last movie at the time, which was uh, either Tenenbaums or that goddamn Will Smith movie, we all said, oh, shit, Gene Hackman retired. And that's kind of how I felt. But uh I, 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 I guess I was surprised when he put a new album out. I was uh, overjoyed yeah. and surprised. As yeah. a lot of people, people were. He made the decision to secretly release uh, the video for his single Where Are We Now on his 66th birthday, January 8th, 2013. Um, his website uploaded the video and the single was immediately released on Apple's iTunes Music. Oh, Mark just got a, uh, a bonus. <laughs> there you go. I know. You're all, you're I just welcome. heard a cash register like right. Mr. Krabs. Merry, Merry Christmas, Branstead family. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think my Siri just initiated too. Good Lord. Oh, oh God. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's going to, before long, Apple's going to replace the three of us with uh, AI to run the show. So it's all good. Yep. Yep. That means that they found, they finally figured out how to monetize it properly. Good for them. <laughs> Good for us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, uh, over two years, um, old Tony V, Tony Visconti, uh, and Bowie and engineer Mario McNulty, uh, were, were recording this album in secret. Um, and, uh, I, uh, do you guys this, got, do you guys is, got anything from three, that era? Well, this is three for three for Tony V recording albums with them. It'll be four for four with Blackstar, right? Um, yes. So they recorded Heathen Reality, then this together. You know, uh, um, I know Tony Visconti was probably one of the few producers, but I, if I can recall correctly, Reality definitely had a few like cooks in the kitchen on that one. Okay. We don't got to look it up because we'll talk about it when the dice rolls there. That's sure. fine. But they were definitely reunited and through the aughts, they, they worked together quite a bit. 
No. That's kind of interesting. Is yeah, there's uh, actually there, there's a uh, there's a good um there's a Rolling Stone. If you just Google, which I don't know why I'd ever do this, uh, David Bowie the next day track by track, the first article that'll pop up is Tony Visconti with Tony uh, with Rolling Stone going over the album. Yeah, it's, uh, worth worth checking. I out. was gonna say um, Bowie was essentially retired from um, like promotional tours too. So Tony Tony Visconti was his um, essentially his mouthpiece for this whole album. So yeah, he he would do the rounds and talk about the albums and a lot of the insight on the lyrics and stuff for Tony saying, I think he means this. So yeah. No, I understand. I totally get that. That's kind of how like uh, people, they pay me money to talk about when Mark and I went to high school together because they can't get a hold of Mark. It's, you know, they're just, just listen to Steve talk about it. So yeah, I get it. <laughs> it's what happens when you're at the top, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you this. This Primus Renaissance I've been having lately, I've been having, you know, I've been talking to all these Primus heads and uh, oyster heads, if you will. Um, and, you know, I just haven't been able to get a hold of Mark to speak for himself. So I've had to recount the years in the accident machine uh, from my perspective. So there you go. Yep. That's right. Those were uh, the salad days of Mark and Steve. Um one little tidbit about this, it was uh, certainly recorded in secret. And uh, one little interesting factoid was that Bowie had to change recording studios after one day uh, when someone blew the whistle. Um, those pesky whistleblowers, you know what I'm talking about? You know? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, I, was there one or two? <laughs> as far as I know, there was only one, but it, it, this corrupt news media out there. Um, he had Bowie had to change his uh, recording studio last moment. What, what what band was that? It was a it was a well known band. I think it was Metric. Okay, um, yeah. No, it was they almost uh, uncovered the secret recording, um, but uh, I think it was someone who um, either worked at the studio because Bowie required everyone involved in the recording to sign an NDA, like it was the next Star Wars movie. Um, <laughs> There you go, man. Yeah, or one of Trump's mistresses. Zing. <laughs> Zing, zam, zoom. Met, met, metric. I never uh, – Metric started getting popular once I started to fade away from knowing what was hip. They any good? You know, I haven't given them the time of day because this is America. We don't believe in the metric system, so I don't believe yeah. in that band. No, I, I honestly I, – I, I haven't really given them the time of day. They're probably good. So uh, – the uh, the cover to this album is pretty. It's, I think it's pretty cool, but I I know it's 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 hitting. It, some people aren't crazy about it. It's just the it's just the cover to Heroes with the uh, with the heroes scratched out, and it says the next day, and then a big white, uh, big white square over his face. Uh, I don't know why I, I find that I find that entertaining, and it kind of makes sense for Bowie. It's definitely like pop art. It's like something that that Andy Warhol would do if he if he was still around. So I like it. I I, I dig it. I think. For whatever reason, after being away for a while, taking one of your old works and uh, it's not exactly defacing, it kind of neuters it, if you will. I, I find it uh, interesting. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, guys, who was the uh, personnel on this bad boy? Who was playing on this album? So you had Gail Ann Dorsey on bass, uh, Sterling yeah, Campbell yeah, yeah. on drums. Pot, hold on one second. Sure. Uh, just as far, I just wanted to give a, a second to talk about Gail Ann Dorsey because this is the first album I think we've discussed on the show with her, right? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. 
And when we all became fans, she was a major part of his, uh, his band. Oh yeah. Um, mm-hmm. she was, she was, I, I want to say what the bass player from outside until this album, maybe. Yeah. I think till the bitter end, I think okay. she, was, she wasn't, yeah. on, she wasn't yeah. on black star, but yeah. oh, okay, you're right. Was, it was like jazz, that jazz. It was that band. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But there was yeah. never like a falling out there or anything. She was no. definitely just a part of the whole David Bowie scene. And I always, you know, I, I brought this up on another episode before that, uh, the rock community can be very, um, white male. And I, I just thought it was great that like for almost 15 years or so, one of his, uh, uh, the cornerstones of his sound was a, uh, a black female bass player with a, a set of pipes to die for. Oh yeah. And she, so, uh, she, yeah. and I, and I'm, I, uh, at a, at a at a concert that will go unnamed, they played uh, under pressure, and she did the Freddie Mercury parts, and it was great. She did awesome. She knocked it out of the park. Yeah, yeah she did that when pressure. we saw her too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In addition to the unnamed show, uh, yeah, at the show in San Jose, uh, yeah. she did that. She was awesome. No, she's a great bass player, great vocalist. Um, yeah, so uh, we'll, we'll we'll this is the first of a few records we get to enjoy uh, her contributions on. So, well, so I uh, know Eric. Before going yeah. further, I know that you think that seeing Nine Inch Nails open for David Bowie is cool, but you know, me and Steve got to see Macy Gray open up for David Bowie, so nothing trumps <laughs> that. Okay, that's <laughs> I do that's a killer a, Macy Gray that, impression, by the way. That's Spider Man, <laughs> the motion pictures, Macy Gray. All right, uh, <laughs> Willem, Willem <sighs> Dafoe. Friend of Willem Dafoe, Macy Gray. I try to say goodbye and I choke. Yeah, good stuff. That's good, good stuff. stuff. Willem Dafoe, Willem Dafoe would make a great Commissioner Gordon. He probably would. He probably would. Uh, yeah. So, oh, and you know what is uh, on that Bowie documentary, Finding Fame, that just dropped on Showtime. We didn't get into it too much, but um, she's on there. Um in the studio playing some like reworked versions of some old songs that I guess end up, end up on the toy album, the lost album that we'll be talking about. So that might be one of the last things she, uh, she dabbled in, but yeah, we'll talk about that. Yeah. There you go. Uh, But to finish out, like uh, there was quite a big personnel on this record. Um, Zachary Alford on drums, but uh, Sterling Campbell only plays drums on uh, two tracks, but most of that is Zachary Alford. Gail Ann Dorsey is all over the place playing bass. Uh, Tony Levin is also on bass on four tracks. Actually, six tracks, looks like. King Crimson's Tony Levin, yes. But that's right. He's the, he's the, um, the, the bald dude that also plays the, uh, the G-stick or the stick, whatever the hell that thing is. Oh, yeah, the, the Chapman stick. There you go, yep. mm. yeah. Sounds erotic. Yeah. I know. Uh, Steve Ellison on the baritone saxophone. and. Um, I know uh, Visconti's, do, Visconti's doing <laughs> string arrangements all over the thing, which is great. Yeah. And, and, and there's, you can really, it really, it really uh, accentuates a few tracks for sure. Yeah. 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 There's actually a few parts but, on this uh, album where I, I thought to myself, I wish there was more string work on more David Bowie albums. Um, I know there wasn't Ziggy Stardust, which we just talked about. And there is on this one, but it doesn't happen often uh, on these two records though. It was great. So. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, did you guys dig into this when it first dropped? I did. Yeah, I was still working at the record store, and I was excited to hear it. I bought it on uh, the release day, and uh, first impressions of it was, yes, this is a solid David Bowie record. 
Um, I believe I enjoy this more than his last one, Reality. Um, I'll have to, I haven't revisited Reality in a while. So I, I'm pretty sure that feeling is still going to stand up to the test of time. But uh, yes, I enjoyed this record. Yeah, I, uh, I remember. And once again, this is our old, I haven't revisited reality either, but uh, my opinion, having reality been the last album I heard was that there was like a glossy sheen to reality that I felt that it didn't really jive with me and Bowie. Um, And then when this dropped, I just felt authentic. It had an authentic feel to it. Um, And there was a couple songs that absolutely jumped out at me and hooked me, but I didn't listen to it a lot past that. And so I was very excited to jump back in this time. That's exactly how I felt. Uh, When it first came out, I really was like, hey, right on. Good new David Bowie album I didn't expect. This is good. This sounds like it could be after Heathen in reality. This sounds like part of a trilogy, if you will. Good record. I'll give another spin. That's a good record. One more time. And then I didn't listen to it for like three years, maybe four. Um, Yeah. And that's not because it was bad. It's because, you know, whatever. They got lost in in the shuffle. And I actually think that once he died and Blackstar came out, Blackstar kind of like took over some of the uh, radio airtime in my shuffle that this album might have taken because Blackstar had such a like his final album released just when he died and such a departure and weirdness, you know, and uh, you kind of forgot, hey, he just a few years ago released a pretty good album. So, yeah, if I were to, if, uh, yeah, I'd probably go this. ah, Fuck, I don't know. I think Heathen in, in this are tied quality wise and in reality is right below them, but they're definitely of a piece together. Uh, the same era of David Bowie to me. Yeah. I think I had a conversation off mic with Eric one time saying this may be my favorite David Bowie later work, but uh can't really say that right now. Cause I haven't revisited Heathen in a while or reality. I'm pretty sure I like it more than reality. Um, but I'm, I, Black Star is different for me. I sometimes don't lump him into the whole thing because I feel that that's his farewell album. Um, it's just, there's too much around that album for me to, you know, it kind of must, must messes things up a little bit. It's hard to be objective with that album. Exactly. And also it's so different. I feel like, yeah, I feel like these last three albums are the David Bowie of the aughts and then Black Star is the, uh, you know, goodbye record and it has a different vibe to yeah and, uh, yeah that, everything yeah. about it the production and the songwriting is completely different than these three these are three rock albums made in the year 2000 to 2013 right um did you happen to take a look at what the the old critics said for the jay sherman roundup no all right no problem <laughs> so i got that in front of me i got you a boy so uh Metacritic. Um Metacritic is kind of a machine that essentially dumps a bunch of reviews into it and then it generates a number. And uh it's usually based out of a hundred. And the weighted score gave it an eighty-one out of a one hundred. Uh most of the reviews gave it a claim. There were a few that uh of course they were British because you know United Kingdom just hates everything. <laughs> um apparently mark fisher from the wire uh called the next day an album of 
uh, Quotian mediocrity, uh, saying it was entirely undeserving of its wide acclaim and that the wave of hyperbole it generated pointed to a wider malaise in contemporary see, music. That, that, that guy just, um, that guy wanted to turn it on and, and finally hear that uh, always whispered Scary Monsters Part 2. And what he got was, uh, you know, oh, just about, you know, as good as Heathen, uh, th- which is fine. Heathen's good. Yeah. This is, um, the, the, so yeah, it's not a yeah. Rolling Stone. I mean, gave it a four out of five. Pitchfork gave it a seven point six. Uh, New Music Express or NME gave it an eight out of ten. Entertainment Weekly gave it a B. AV Club gave it an A minus. Spin Magazine that rag gave it only a five out of ten. So. Most here in the States, uh, it was seen as a great, great record. What I try to do when we talk about these newer Bowie albums is ask myself, if it wasn't David Bowie, would I still like these songs as much? And for this, for this sure. album, I think, yes, I think that the majority of them, the majority, I'll point out which ones don't do it for me, are solid songs. Right. So I think it's good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we're ready to dive into these tracks. I say we go for it. All right. So track one, the album kicks off with the title track, The Next Day. Let's hear a little bit of that. Listen to the horse, it tells her. The fashion's paper sculptures of them. Then drags them to the river's bank in the cart Their soggy paper bodies rush ashore in the dark And the priest stiffened head now demanding from Bigger Of his well-dressed as man for the pleasure of that priest Here I am, not quite dying My body left to rot in a hollow tree His branches throwing shadows on the gallows told me The song, uh, this song is a is a mouthful. It's kind of interesting just listening to it. Um, the music's there and it drives it, and you have uh, like a driving drum beat. You've got um, a bunch of overlaid guitars going, strumming. Um, you got some strings in there, and Bowie never stops talking. Almost the whole thing, he's got something to say, and and he's he's singing with the fury of uh, of punk rock in this song. Um, and I think he only takes a breath for like 30 seconds when a guitar solo kind of shreds. Um, but it's got this, uh, it's got this thick production quality. Like I said, that it doesn't seem, you can hear every instrument, but it doesn't seem glossy. It's, um, it's like this, this is what I think of when I first heard the album, I was like, okay, this is like an authentic sound for Bowie. Um, and that's just kind of how it sounds. I've got pages of notes on what this bonkers ass song is about. But uh, but what do you guys think about the sound? You know, I like the sound. I like how kind of dirty it's not polished. You know, your recollection of reality, what it was just too slick for you. Right. Um, yeah. This one here brings back kind of the dirtiness of what rock and roll is all about. Um I very much enjoy this song. It's a great kickoff to the record and it does kind of signal that it's not going to be as overproduced as potentially reality was. Yeah, this album, I'm sorry, um, keep going. No, go ahead. Say, yeah. 
perfect yeah, there time. are a couple of tracks in this album and i've mentioned this before reality and heathen and this album have moments where i feel like the production is too uh not overproduced but airy like just too floaty in the sky i don't know how else to explain it but like you're sure. saying this album does bring it back down to earth a little and this song definitely does a great uh stab at that this song is driving it's a it's got it's it's, it's got a it's a foot stomper it propels forward and i even feel like the majority of this song is kind of indignant and Bowie's kind of pointing his finger in the face of the listener. You know, the here I am not quite dying. It's a, it's a, it's a good rocker. I, 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 I totally dig this track. Oh, big fan of those choruses. I almost yeah. wonder, I, I did. I hate this is morbid, but do you guys know when he was uh, diagnosed with uh, cancer? I don't, but it makes me feel like, um, I, I want to say it was probably after this, but I, I, I can't, I don't know. Maybe we'll revisit that idea a little bit later, but. No, I, I think it was after this, but it is a very interesting lyric. The here I am not quite right. dying is, uh, is that's quite, that's quite something to say when you then uh, stare down the, uh, the motherfucker of all illnesses, like, you know, shortly after. Sure. I know. I love that chorus, but you know, it's hard not to retroactively think when he did die, like shit. I remember in the next day he said, here I am not quite dying. Like how long has he known? Um, but maybe that's why there was so much secrecy around this record because he was like, well, shit, I don't want anyone else to know that I'm getting, that I'm sick. Right. I, I honestly, I don't know. Or like, or like if I don't make it to the end of the record, you know, I don't want to announce it and then not make it to the end of the record, you know, that kind of Cause thing. I mean, three years is this between when he actually died. And so you right. got to think at some point, maybe he did know. Um, I don't know. Right. Yeah. So this, um, this, uh, this song, you can't help but separate it from the video. The video is a, it's, it's in the, like, I guess it's not out of character for Bowie to do a very dramatic but funny and satirical, but like all film quality video music video. And this song is, this video is that for sure. Um, you've got, uh, you've got, um, Mr. Gary Oldman as a debaucherous, debaucherous priest, Catholic priest. And he shows up at this bar where a bunch of the clergy are just getting, getting down, um, whether it be prostitutes or cannibalism or all sorts of crazy shit. And uh, Bowie's on stage uh, rocking out. I believe uh, Marion Cotillard is in there as well. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's a it's a crazy video. You guys like the video? Yeah, I do like the video. In fact, um, I don't ever remember actually watching it. Um, and because maybe that was be- uh, YouTube apparently pulled it for a little bit and just no one ever talked about it because of the themes um catholic league the catholic league got it pulled is that really true bastards Uh, yeah they were they were pissed they were pissed yeah they were pissed i don't know if they got it they got it pulled but i think at least it it briefly got pulled um for like a day or two maybe they they said it was like uh you know a religious uh discrimination or i who who knows but um it definitely got pulled for a couple days the director of the video was uh, Floria Sigismondi, who's done a uh, very prolific music video director. She directed uh, the Beautiful People video by Marilyn Manson, the Tourniquet video. She did Little Wonder um, and Dead Man Walking, also by David Bowie. 
Um, she's got quite the the list of uh, music videos that we've all have seen before. Um, but I mean, I could see why they potentially. I mean, the the Catholic League is certainly not known for their tolerant views on <laughs> on any sort of yeah. uh, you know things. Yeah, that it's pre- just it's just not that like they've been getting they've been getting. The Catholic Catholics have been getting badgered for like thirty years now with their hypocrisy. So it's like not like Bowie was doing anything completely. Like I know groundbreaking. It was just kind of like a fun look into it, and and the lyrics of the song are pretty like he he talks about hypocrisy a lot on this album. He talks about people in power being hypocrites. It comes up a lot, um, and. Uh, something funny yeah i just read a quote from that bill donahue who's the leader of the catholic league yeah he called bowie a switch hitting bisexual senior citizen from london i didn't realize that bowie was a baseball player you know he can hit from both sides of the plate that's a talent that's a talent go ahead i'm sorry no no you're good you're good i just heard you giggling over there i had to i had to know i had to know um this song has um, has it, it bounces around from ideas quite a bit. At sometimes it's talking about a um, like kind of like a corrupt, powerful member, uh, like a like a like a like a priest or a bishop or somebody in religion that uh, you know the people worship him no matter what evil deeds done. But then when they're done with him, they they drag him to his death and then they they kill him and go on to the next thing. Um, there's also layers of it that it, kind of looking at that as like you were saying, pointing the finger in the fans face of like the fickleness of, um, of the public and when it comes to music and then some of it's just about how he felt. I mean, he was gone for 10 years and he probably felt like he was dying without making the music. I mean, I know I, I'm not saying it was bad, but when you're that creative and you don't get to produce for so long, that's gotta, that's gotta leave a, a, a hollow, uh, a hole. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Yeah. And maybe um, that's what he's talking about where his left to rotten in the hollow tree. Is that what kind of you're, you're right. making the connection? Yeah. Oh man. I love, I love that line, by the way, that, um, that, that line brings sense, uh, yeah. a lot of good imagery to it. And one thing it reminds me of is, um, from the comic book, the goon, where there's this character called the buzzard who is, a, uh, and he's basically the saint of killers. And he's in a, a guy from decades before who was cursed and he haunts the earth. And at a certain point, he just gets tired of it all. And he goes and he, he, he melds himself with the, the roots of a, of a, a, a dead tree and just goes to rest there. And I, I love that yeah. line about, you know, body yeah. left rotting in a hollowed out tree. And you guys, I, I, and I will, I, I did not know this. I think once again, the pushing ahead, the Dame website for, point this out but legend has it that's how um uh merlin was uh, executed was that he was uh essentially uh trapped inside of a, a hollow tree and left there to die there's so. been other occurrences of of that um type of death in fiction i've read so that wouldn't surprise me if merlin was one of the like uh they're all basing it off of that that makes sense to me yeah and there's just a lot that does it for me as far as religious hypocrisy lines go. Like um, uh, they can work with Satan while they dress like saints. They know God exists for the devil told them so. Um, 
just a you know just a lot of uh i just i i, I enjoy the, the but then once again like then he's getting dragged through the streets and whipped and flogged by his his former uh uh, worshippers and and all that so there, i don't know it's just all it's all over the place but it all kind of fits with this uh this intensity that he's singing it with so yeah, um, that that line that old, and the next day and the next and the other day that's a wonderful delivery yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, absolutely i mean it's not a song that um i could sing along too much in the verses but that those choruses, man. There's some a lot of confidence in this song, and uh, I, I yeah. certainly enjoy it. Yep, agree. It's great. So let's go on to the next track, um, which is track two, "Dirty Boys." I will buy a feather hat. I will steal a cricket bat. Smash some windows, make a noise. We'll run the dirty boys When the sun goes down When the sun goes down And the die is cast When the die is cast And you have no So this track, uh, this was definitely one that on first listen, I didn't think it was amazing, but for the podcast, when I revisited it, it became one of my favorite songs off the, uh, the record. It, it could be, it's a different, it's, it's a different kind of Bowie. I can't think of many other David Bowie songs that have this, uh, pacing to them. And it, it's like David Bowie doing Tom Waits, which Exactly. It's a shorthand, that, which is why that's a shorthand. Which is why I loved it the first time I okay, heard it. Yeah, on this podcast, <laughs> yeah. that's a shorthand you're probably going to find, but uh, it does fit, and uh, I'm I'm a huge fan of this track. I also I love it when an album does a a track one, which kicks you in the ass and just moves, and then track two slows it down almost as much as possible. When an artist can do that uh, properly, I think it's it's aces and uh, Dirty Boys. Top marks from me. That's all I've got to say for now. I would say that it does slow it down, but it's got a swagger to it. Um, I like the Tom Waits thing. I think it could thematically fit right with like Rain Dogs as a song. Um, and it also would fit with Diamond Dogs. Uh, this, the, I mean, it's and it's a, it's about it's him revisiting his uh, his love of the uh, Clockwork Orange Troublemaker Gangs. <laughs> I mean, not really. That song's about more than that, but it's definitely some of that imagery. Um, and it's got, it's just got a, a little like stomping beat with a, uh, it's got a bluesy, noisy guitar and a big old honking baritone that I love that just gets me. And you're right. It doesn't sound like a typical Bowie song, but this song was the first one that made me like do a double take when I heard it. I was like, oh shit, this song is rad. I never heard like Bowie do a song like this, although it would fit very nicely on, on, on uh, Diamond Dogs. Um, so I'm pretty close, uh, to what you guys are saying. It's another song that I really enjoy. I always enjoyed it. Um, I'm a big fan of that Bojack Horseman baritone sax. Oh yeah. Um, you guys watch that show? Oh, I, the theme I, I song? I love that show. Uh, the show's great. The show's, uh, um, de- I, depression that, porn. I love it. So that, uh, baritone sax, um, is played by, um, Art Carney, 
who's the uncle who's now passed away of the drummer from the Black Keys, Patrick Carney. Mm. And Art Carney, I believe, performed with Tom Waits quite frequently. So that's kind of where that connection's coming from, for me at least. Baritone go. sax yeah. and then yeah. But you know how you guys are also mentioning that it reminds you of, of uh, Tom Waits. This one, for whatever reason, during the verses, just the verses, not so much the choruses, but it reminds me that this song could potentially fit on Nick Cave's Abattoir Blues. I, I get a, a whiff of yeah, hiding all it, away. Yep. Uh, oh, yeah. 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 Um, I love that Nick Cave song, and this song kind of reminds me of that. Uh, and not to say that David Bowie is playing in Nick Cave's sandbox. It's just more like, yeah, this it could, could fit He's right more there. than welcome to any time. Uh, two things. One, yeah. uh, Nick Cave put out a new album uh, this last weekend. I listened to it all the way through once. I haven't been able to really dive in like I want to. But first go around, it's uh, quality as always. Have either of you listened to it yet? Not yet. I, not yet. I listened to the first two tracks that I kind of got where it was going and i said no i need to give this the attention that it's exactly. due so this isn't going to be a commuting album this is going to be a headphones in, the, in my that's, living that's room funny. album yeah yeah so I'm, I'm saving it i'm saving it but i could tell kind of like i was like okay yeah it needs a little bit more attention than i can give it right now so i, I i'll give it the time uh i read somebody that wrote it and i could see it um it definitely push the sky away skeleton tree and ghostine or a uh, trilogy and I think that they didn't know that when they were doing it, but now they do. Yeah. And it all makes sense together. Yeah. So we it's all true. love Nick on this show. The other thing, uh, one part of this song that I love is uh, it, it does have a Tom Waits, Tom Waits kind of uh, reap to it. But towards the end, there's those parts where uh, there's like, uh, uh, he starts singing like, in a da, 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 da. When the sun goes down, when the sun goes down and the die is cast. Yeah. Yeah. And as much as I love Tom, Tom never gets that melodic. And uh, I think that's where you can differentiate between sure, the two. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He's doing stuff. But I, that I, Tom like I say, said, yeah. I've been on, I've been on a Primus kick in which that means I've also been on a Tom Waits kick. So it's all good to me, man. Yeah. Yeah. Either way, <laughs> uh, this this song is is kind of fun. Like I said, he's revisiting old themes of, um, like his like his Clockwork Orange, like ruffians, um, kind of the way that maybe uh, he and the glam boys were were treated or felt. Um, and then the song is about like um, you know self fulfilling prophecy. Um, you know, when a society decides you're going to be a certain way, you become that way. And, uh, you know, when the sun goes down, the die is cast with the die is cast. And you have no choice. We'll run with the dirty boys. So if they if they think you're going to be bad and let's be the best bad we can be kind of kind of concept. And uh, um, I enjoy it. I, I, I it's a simple song, but you're right, Steve. If I had to pick a perfect track two, this may be Tom, uh, this may, not Tom Waits. This may be Bowie's best track two in his collection. It's, it's, it's perfect. Yeah. Good song. All right. So let's go on to the next track, track three, which is The Stars. Parentheses are out tonight. Stars are out tonight. 
so that was the stars are out tonight. Um, it's a tight little rock song. I think that it has a little glorious chorus. Um, the string arrangements are a nice touch with the cool little guitar flourishes, like playing off of each other. Um, obviously this song has to do with the allure of celebrity that certainly makes it very evident in the video. You guys watch the video. Oh, I love the video. Uh, Steve, I love it. Steve, yeah, would you, I, I love the video. Steve, would this be one of the songs you think has the air, the airy quality that you weren't crazy about? Uh, you know, not as much. Okay. I don't know. I, I think, uh, this song's for la- like, uh, you know, from that to, to keep, I'll try to keep consistent with the metaphors. I think this one is still down to earth and dirty enough. I'll definitely bring up the airy ones when we get to them but they're not this. Song. Sure. This one has a little, little shoegazy quality to it, but I, I like that shimmer, that kind of shimmering uh, aspect to this song. Um, yeah, but the video is great. Oh, man, the video, the video, um, listen, uh, the video, which I've watched many times. I watched that Gary Oldman video once. I watched this video maybe t- uh, 10 times. Um, the way it starts, it makes me always wish that like, I, I love my neighborhood. I have a neighborhood where I have, um, I have a, a couple of sandwich places I can walk to and there's like a little market and you get to talk to the same people. I would love to live somewhere where someone of David Bowie's caliber, not stardom wise, but just that charming, you know, you'd go to, you'd go to the store and you bump into him and he's like, Oh, what have you, you know, read in the news today? And what do you think about that? I love the way the video starts with that. That's uh, yeah. Cracks me up. Hey, well, he's like, "Hey, it's hump day. It's hump day. And then the, the, the produce clerk says, I don't know. Have you been humped lately? <laughs> <laughs> just yeah just uh, <laughs> my wife um the uh the video touches down on some of the themes of the song pretty well because it's like bowie and tilda swinton play a married couple they're just an average married couple and i love that bowie plays up his like he's like cantankerous in it he's like my neighbors are too loud with their mute like because there's a there's a band of models <laughs> playing next next door and he's he's not having it he's shaking his his rake at, at his neighbors and He's kind of cantankerous and he's having fantasies. You know, he's a he's just a boring suburban dude. Um, And then they're being followed by celebrities. Um, And so they're kind of flipping it. Um, And I think one could say, oh, it's kind of like, how does it feel, you know, being a regular person and having that? But that's kind of missing the point. The point of the lyrics and the video gets it across, too, is that celebrities are kind of the problem. They can't exist without the average Joe being obsessed with them. They live off of that. They're vampires for it. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, it can suck to be a celebrity and all the attention, but the celebrities need it as much as the, as much as the average, more than the average Joe needs them. And, uh, and, uh, I think that's an inter- interesting take on it. So. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think with, at the end of the video where, um, the little so-called celebrity rock stars who were um, kind of making Tilda Swinton turn into this extravagant character, uh, how it, right. it's flipped, how now they're the the rock stars and the rock star celebrities are just the normal people just trying to watch TV. Um, so it's an interesting concept. Um, I, I, in terms of the song, though, uh, the songwriting is still catchy. I think it's a great one, two, three punch so far. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It starts really strong. Um, I like the li- the lyrics. Uh, the stars are never sleeping, dead ones in the living. 
And uh, if you think about it, like, yeah, there's no rest for a, for a celebrity. You know, David Bowie's dead and you and we're, look, we're still talking about him for, <laughs> you know, nine hours a month or whatever, you know, like uh, we, uh, our fascination continues past, past their life, um, which I think is, you know, interesting for sure. There's a great part in this song that I love, which is, um, it's kind of, uh, and we know just what they do and we know just what they say. In the background, there's an instrument that I can't quite place. It might be like a, I don't know, like a melodica or something doing like a, a down tempo, uh, follows along with the, the, the lyrics that I love. Um, that section's great. And, um, there's some subtle string work in this one under the later verses that I just, adore. yeah. Um, it's not overwhelming. It's just there if you listen for it. Um, and also during the choruses, there's hand claps that really do do it for me. The song has, the song has a lot of subtle variations in it. If you listen for them, that I think makes it really special. Yeah. Uh, there's a, there, there's some lyrics that it kind of call, uh, and, and I, once again, I wouldn't have picked up this if it wasn't for the, the pushing ahead, the Dame article, but Sarders and their child wives waiting for the last move, soaking up our primitive world. They're just calling back to some mythology about the, uh, the kind of, um, hedonistic gods that uh that just kind of prey on prey on the on the humans and uh um there's just some really smart stuff going on in the song also um and i think this this he probably had no reason to write this like analysis of celebrity until now because of just with instagram culture and you know influencers and <laughs> reality and kardashians like that celebrity is kind of different now than it's ever been before not that it's not that in the seventies there wasn't problems with it before, but it's, it's been more like this, uh, like I was saying, like this need to, to, to needing the, the, the average, you know, schlubs to be obsessed with them more than ever. So there's definitely something about this album to where even if some of the songs don't come right out and say it, I think it only could have been lyrically, um, actualized in 2013 there's definitely some concepts he's hinting at that are issues that started to become uh obnoxious for lack of a better term between reality and oh yeah he's watching the world change for 10 years and not being able to express it absolutely yeah yeah so soundtrack well i gotta i gotta say between between us and uh the stars are out tonight are you are you guys good Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So there's uh, top marks all around so far. Yes. There's no love lost between us. No, no, no. Tonight. Solid, solid start to an album. And that, my God. And that's while we will talk about the next track. Love is lost. Here's a clip of that. It's the darkest hour. You're 22. So, Love is Lost. I think this is uh, continuing the quality of this record that we've dealt with so far. This album, to me, and I'm not just saying this because it's, we're, uh, we used to be a Nine Inch Nails podcast, this sounds to me like this could have been a Nine Inch Nails uh, scrap of an idea that David Bowie picked up and ran with. 
Um, the way it kind of just descends and drips is very much a, a, a Trent Reznorian uh, song style approach. And uh, I'm a big fan of it. Yeah, I concur. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the creep show organ work. Um, I, I love it. Um, the song is ominous from the rhythm section. Um, the end drum work uh, reminds me there's a little part in there that sounds like it's from low. Um, but everything about this song is it, it. I would agree with what you just said. It 100% hits that stylistic of uh, what Nine Inch Nails and Trent Reznor are all about. That's not why I like it. This well, thing, yeah, this song that- can stand on its own. It's just a great song. This might be my favorite song off the record. Might. Well, it's very, it's very, it's very yeah. atmospheric. I, I think uh, there, there's the weird like synth stabs that happen. The bound, bow, bam. You know, there's like these, like with the drums, there's these like synth yeah. stabs. And, with that, you've got this persistent bass yeah, line doom, doom, that kind of has like doom, the same doom, rhythm doom, the whole doom, entire doom, time. Yeah. And uh, there's been a couple of T-Rez songs that do that. Um, I, I just think it's a, it's a great track. I think it's a buried gem in the uh, David Bowie catalog. Yeah. I, uh, I, this is kind of a, I, I, yeah, I'm crazy for it. The same reasons you guys, you guys say, I love that driving that, that doom, 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 kind of like unrelenting bass and drum situation that's happening in the background. Um, and lyrically, this song is kind of a sister song to, um, the, uh, to some of the tracks off Ziggy Stardust with the whole, like Bowie's like theory of love hasn't changed too much over the years. He's been skeptical of it. Um, or he's been all out supportive of it. And this song kind of looks at, uh, um, it's kind of like him giving advice to his younger self. <laughs> it's like, you know, uh, you know, love makes you crazy. So uh, uh, basically, um, you know, so stay away, stay away from it. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's your. Um, sorry. Uh, so you're you're all your fears will come true if you give in to love and he's trying to warn himself from it. And then in the end, he goes for it. Um, his you know he he goes and he and he gives himself to love and uh <laughs> it ends with basically just saying yeah well you've done it say hello to the beautiful girl um and now everything's gonna fall apart um it's it's a crazy song and i and i like it a lot there is a section in it where um about two minutes in where the tempo kicks up and he says like say goodbye to your beautiful life and uh he holds some notes for a bit and I realized when listening to it this last go round that that really sounded of the reality heathen era Bowie. And there's definitely this time where he like he hits this uh, dramatic register in some of these later albums that he didn't try to do in some of his earlier stuff. Um, listen to it two minutes in, you'll hear what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's uh, it's good. Yeah, very cool song. And there's a great remix uh, that we'll be talking about next episode. Yeah, and uh, speaking of that remix, we I'm not going to talk about it, but there is a music video for this song, um, which is the single edit of James Murphy's 10 minute long remix. Um, and Bowie himself shot the video for a cost of $12.99, which was the cost of the flash drive in order to save it on there. I don't know if you had a chance <laughs> to watch the video, but it's just a bunch of wooden puppets 
um, That's great. that were produced yeah. by Jim Henson's Creature Shop for an unfinished and unreleased music video for The Pretty Things Are Going to Hell. And apparently, you know, Bowie was like, well, I'll just keep these. And uh, the price of the but- the puppets was obviously not included in the f- video budget, but uh, The Pretty Things Are Going to Hell, I think that's off the reality, if I can recall correctly. Uh, that's off ours. Oh, you're right. Shit, man. Wow. I- okay. Yeah. Anyhow. Um, Listen, Mark, no one's going to forget. No one's going to, no one is going to lambaste you for forgetting anything <laughs> off the very seriously hours. I, I can't remember one single track off of that song after off that album. I mean, fields of gold might be on that album, right? That's not David Bowie. Yeah. I, I didn't dear. You know, it, 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 oh. Actually, actually I, I, uh, uh, Andy Corey on the Twitter fear. Uh, he's a guy that he's a, um, a DC comics editor. He's a pretty cool guy. He, he posted about how the anniversary of hours just came out. And that was the first, uh, digital only, uh, or I'm sorry, digital pre-release before the album, uh, on the internet. And, uh, me being the smart ass I am said, yes, it was also known as the first digital only sleep aid. There you go. <laughs> it does. It doesn't. It does endear me to think of Bowie just sitting in his like studio by himself with a camcorder and a bunch of puppets and uh, and filming the video. Uh, Same. As as I'm sure that's how it ha- how it went down. There yeah. was a photographer that kind of assisted, um, and also Coco Schwab, still in the scene. Of course. Yep. Of course. Of course. Uh, yeah. So cool song. I actually am. I'm pretty stoked to talk about the remix, but that'll have to wait till next time, dear listeners. Uh, let's go on to track five. Where are we now? Where are we now? Where are we now? The moment you know, you know. As long as there's sun As long as there's sun As long as there's rain So that was Where Are We Now? Um, this song starts slow. It's re- reminds me of that Simpsons episode where sleepy time Homer is driving home late at night and the moon tucks him in because he's so exhausted and his car turns into a bed. Um, it's just, and he, yeah, the moon gives him a wink. Um, but I think what could be a bathroom break song, um, it actually really gets going towards the end. Um, I do actually enjoy this song, um, especially during that part, as long as there's sun. Um, you guys know what I'm talking about, that part. And the mm-hmm. guitar work oh, yeah. during that part also kind of reminds me a little bit of The Cure. Um, but actually, this is apparently the first single that was released for this record. Probably not a uh, a good indication of what this so- uh, album sounds like because you would think, oh boy, it's another Hours type album. But it does get going. Um, I It took me a little bit to really get my hooks into this song, but I appreciate it. It's fine. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's a weird first single for sure. It's, it's his voice. There's some string arrangements. There's some piano. It's very sparse. It's very quiet. It's, um, yeah, but then, yeah, you're right. It, but, and, and every time it comes on, I'm like, okay, am I, am I going to do this song now? And then like, usually by like the fifth measure, I'm in, I'm like, uh, there's something that just grabs you about it. It's, it's a very pretty song. And, um, uh, I do enjoy it quite a bit as well. It's a, uh, it's a song that's kind of recount, uh, kind of him just remembering his time in Berlin. Um, and, uh, it's a very reminiscent, reminiscent song. Um, I just, uh, places looking for answers, uh, looking for answers in, uh, exciting new places, uh, remembering a time when you were looking for answers and realizing you, you may or may not have those answers now. Steve, what do you think? Yeah. You know, the song it's, 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 it's okay. Um, this is where I definitely start to drift. Um, I, I have a rule where whenever a song starts and it makes me feel like I'm waking up on a beach in Hawaii, um, while that might be a great uh, feeling to have, that usually does not engage me. And uh, that's where the song kind of starts out at. It's very, here we are and look around you and this is the world you're in. It's relaxing time. That doesn't do much. I would say it's, I would say it has um, a cold feeling to it as opposed to a warm feeling, but that's just my opinion. Interesting. It's definitely either way you want to go, be it cold or warm. It doesn't sink its hooks into me until about two minutes, two, two minutes and 40 seconds in where he, uh, the beat kind of starts like going neurosis style. And he starts singing like, as long as there's me, as long as there's you. And the outro of the song justifies how much the beginning of the song bores. Me. I mean, honestly, I think we just, we, I, 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 we said the same thing. That's exactly what I, what I nailed on to. <laughs> yeah. Without the yeah. neurosis connection. No, yeah. I made a Simpsons reference. Well, yeah, I'm made a Simpsons <laughs> reference about Homer getting tucked in by the moon. And then all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, no, they really, I actually, I, I, I actually, the fact that the first half of the song bores me, the, 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 the fact that they're able to pull a hat trick and then make the second half awesome makes me like the song. But, uh, you know, if, if I wasn't doing, I don't, you know, I might've listened to it all the way through once sure. until we did our podcast. And then the, the second time through, I was like, Oh wait, this song ain't that bad. Yeah. You know? So I think I, I, I think I like this more and it might just be like the video, the videos, like, a you know, footage from a train going through Berlin. It's, um, this, uh, this street artist that Bowie liked projected his face onto these like cloth, these kind of almost like cloth puppets. Right. No, that was, uh, that, right? that was love is lost. Oh shit. Oh, you're right. My bad. But this one is, this one is images of Berlin. Correct. Yeah. That, that, that part, that part. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, I like the, you know, the moment, where are you now? The moment, you know, you know, you know, it's, um, it, I just like, it's, it's a very meta reflection song. I like the idea of Bowie maybe going to Berlin and walking around to his old haunts. And like, I was here trying to find myself. And did I do that? Did this, did, you know, did I do that here? Have I found myself now? Um, and like I said, it doesn't have a warm feeling to me. This song has a cold, a cold feeling to me, but it is, it's self, it's self-reflective. I don't know. I don't know. I can't really explain it, but, um, it only bores me for about uh, 15 seconds and then I'm, and then I'm stuck. 
and I and, and I listened to the whole thing. Yeah. So yeah. All right. Well, let's go on to Valentine's Day. Valentine told me who's to go. That was Valentine's Day. Um, it's certainly a we need to talk about Kevin song. Uh, if you haven't seen that movie, stars Tilda Swinton and the guy that plays Flash in the Zack Snyder movies. Um, it deals with <laughs> a school shooting from a from the shooter's perspective, and it's. Or the parent, the parent's perspective. Is it the parent's perspective, or is it the shooter's perspective? I think it's. I think it's pretty empathetic to both, but really, the main character is the mom. And oh, the mom in Valentine's of, Day, or in, excuse yeah. me, and we need to talk about. Oh, Kevin. I'm sorry. I, I that's. I, you still have me on that movie because I'm kind of. I'm kind of. I I, I like that. The movie. movie's good. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, you had you had me at that it, one. It is an interesting um, film that deals with you know. And not only does it affect, you know, the community at large, but also family members. Um, sure. But the song, yeah. it really does take yes. it from a the person's perspective that and it's not empathizing essentially at all. Um, right. No. Yeah. He's no. not saying he's justifying these actions. If anything, he's just trying to tell a story. Um, yeah. And it's. Have you ever seen uh, Bowie talk about this song um, on the five years, uh, the the last five years documentary? He talks about it at length like this, like he's fired up like I like Bowie rarely gets so overtly political, but he's like fired up like this song was his like, you know, definitely his his probably follow up to I'm Afraid of Americans as far as being like an anti-gun song. What, do you remember any specific comments that he made on it? I mean, not specifically, but just that, like, you know, he's he he's, he says, like, I rarely get so political, but there is a real problem here in America. Um, this I'm talking about school shootings, but it's not just that. And, um, you know, there's guns that are readily available and we're not, you know, nothing's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Which we're still having that conversation. No, I mean, certainly I can't remember exactly. Um, God, I feel bad for not remembering what year Sandy Hook happened. But I felt like uh, that would have been 2012. So, OK, prior to, to this, and maybe that's what inspired him to finally, like, write something about right. it. Um, yeah, because that was one of the school. I mean, I get pissed off at school shootings every time they occur. But that one in particular, like, took something out of me where it was yeah. just and then nothing, of course, was done. And um, yeah, it wasn't a good day. I'll tell you that. Um, so it is, it is nice that, you know, people 
like David Bowie, who have such a big platform, you know, say something about it. Of course, he's kind of in the tail end of his career where people are not really paying attention to him by and large at this point. But I'm glad that he still felt that it was necessary to say something. And when I say not paying attention, it's like you don't see him being talked about on E! News is what I'm saying. You know, he right. doesn't have as big of a platform as, let's say, Taylor Swift and in this point of his career. Sure. That that's that's absolutely. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. Um, but it is, you know, I in terms of the song itself, um, I do like the song. I don't love it. Uh, I think that uh, it's kind of a typical modern rock song. Um Earl Slick has some really good guitar playing that kind of punctuate the choruses. Um, it's all right. What do you think of this song? Yeah, I uh, I like what it's about, but I feel like this song is um, it's a it, it sounds like a holdover from reality production wise. Yeah. This would be an example of it being not terribly interesting musically and pretty pretty uh, like uh, pretty. It's it's definitely slick <laughs> to use to, without without lack of a better term. Um, uh, it's it's got a slick uh, sound to it that uh, it's too clean. And um, it's this song clearly came from a place of anger and concern from Bowie, but it doesn't come across that way in the final production of the song. Yeah. Uh, and I think the production the production does hold it back a little bit by making it so clean. So, Stephen, what did you think of Valentine's Day? I was actually a big fan of this song. I um, I don't think it is too clean or sheeny or whatever Eric was saying. Uh-huh. Um, I actually, I think it could be, it kind of has uh, the rhythm and the vocaling, the vocalizations of like a Roy Orbison song. Um, I'm not just saying that because it's called Valentine's Day. I don't think Roy would have been so bold to have that uh, subtle or not so subtle political message in there, but the backup vocals and the, uh, some of the, the notes he tries to hit, I could see it being a Roy Orbison song. So I like that about it. What I, what I really like about it though, is it's got some, uh, it's got some guitar squelches in it that remind me of mid nineties Depeche mode. And that's, uh, that's fun to me. I, I don't know if you guys know what, what sound I'm talking about, but, uh, there, there, there's definitely during, during the uh, so after the first verse and before the first chorus, there's this reoccurring uh, songs of faith and devotion, ultra style Depeche Mode guitar. I can kind of see where you're going with that. Yeah, I can kind of see that. I I definitely um, when I was talking about it, I I do appreciate Earl Slick kind of punctuating those choruses. I can see that kind of being in the style of Martin Gore guitar playing. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. That took me, that took me a few days. Like I was like, what does this remind me of? It reminds me of something from the nineties. And I was like, does it remind me of the nineties cure? No. Does it remind me of a Lisa Loeb? No. Ah, that's a, that's definitely songs of faith of devotion era Depeche mode. So. Did you guys see the video for it? Yeah. Um, I was just about to bring that up. Yeah. Yeah, he's like in a parking garage as he's singing, and isn't he kind of like wielding a guitar, almost like a gun, at some point? Yeah, I believe yeah. so. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, uh, um, I was off. I went to the negative zone for a bit there. Um, what exactly 
as far as the is it about like a, a school shootings or something, Eric? What's the story? Exactly. There? Yeah, I know exactly. And it's done like um, it's kind of vague as to who he's talking to, but the perspective is from the school shooter and whether he's um, just having like an internal monologue or like a fantasy about shooting up a school or whether he's like telling his friend. Um, so his friend doesn't show up that day because he's going to kill the the teachers and the football stars. Um, yeah. And it's dark. And like I was saying before, um, you know, I've seen some interviews in the last five years documentary where he gets pretty overtly political, um, which is a rare thing for Bowie where he's like, he was really kind of amped up about this topic and really wanted to do a song about it. So. Yeah. Um, we definitely kind of talked about how the song is not glamorizing the, uh, the school shooter situation, but more about just talking about how someone could be so psychologically fucked up. And um, I think the character's name is Valentine. Valentine told me how he'd feel if all the world were under his heel or stumbling right. through the mall. Um, so it's not really from per se, a first person perspective. You definitely have a third person narrator. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. So whoever he's yeah. telling that he's going to do it. Yeah, you're right. Thanks. Thanks for the reminder there. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's interesting. I mean, I'm glad that David Bowie decided to say a thing or two about the nonsense that happens too often in America. Well, yeah, I mean, Christ almighty, I'm sure Towns isn't there yet, but I'm sure at least one of your kids has done the goddamn shooter drills by now. Oh, yeah. You know, I asked Vivian that and she said no. Um, but although I have heard that they do those active shooter drills uh, quite frequently in many school districts, Eric, is that one of your things in your school district? Oh, yeah, for sure. And they may not call it an active shooter drill. They may call it a lockdown drill. Um, where okay. she, they have to climb under their desks, um, and the teacher has to do all like the lock the door, drop the blinds, that that whole thing. Um, so that may be what she knows it as. But yeah, that's uh, you mm-hmm. have to do it like two or three times a school year. Absurd. That's wild. Yep. I mean, all we had to do um, was line up and walk out to the soccer field when the fire alarm will uh, went off. Right. Yep, that was about it. That's the only thing that we had to and I'm really assuming, be concerned about. I'm assuming that was for fires or maybe earthquakes, even though there's yeah. never earthquakes up here. So Right. Ugh. I remember when some of the teachers that were in the school safety committee were trying to debate how they were going to message the active shooter drills. They were like, yeah, and there's this new training that's out there, and it's called Run, Hide, or Fight. And they teach kids how to throw desk chairs and books at the shooter. And I'm like, no, wait, no, wait, we can't do that, can we? Like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I have heard of that. I remember yeah. seeing maybe a documentary or a vice media thing on that. Right. It's just, yeah. Yes. Yeah, stopping bullets with uh, issues of high life. Good, good plan. <laughs> Jesus. It's not high life, but highlights. Uh, high life would be great if they yeah. Yeah. showed that. And probably, there probably would be more of a chance of them stopping them with the issue of high life. You're right. Yeah. What is California? You know, <laughs> Right. You never know what they're teaching them in gardening these days. <laughs> all right. So we all agree that the song is okay. Uh, I think I'm fine with it. Eric is thinks it's a little too polished, but Steven is, uh, he's okay with it. I think well. that's a fair recap. Yeah. All right. So let's go on to the next track, which is if you can see me. Ah, uh, yes. Or earthling reprised. 
And that was If You Can See Me. And I would strongly agree with what Steven said. It, And you know what? I sometimes forget Earthling was a, a David Bowie album. I, I, I enjoy that record. Um, but whenever we talk about his latter day works, I kind of seemingly uh, like go from outside right directly to ours where I actually think Earthling is a pretty solid record. But this song, um, it doesn't do much for me. Uh, I think it could either fit on um, kind of a template or a rough draft of what Blackstar was trying to do on maybe uh, uh, that Sue. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, song. I see more of a of a, a shades of things to come as in Blackstar than I do Earthling. But I get the connection because it's a, definitely a drum and bass type background music. But I'm hearing more of that jazzy side of that, which is what he was doing on some of the tracks on Blackstar. But you've also yeah. got a uh, Galen Dorsey doing, yeah, doing, a, <laughs> uh, doing a good job of it, but she's definitely doing some uh, house wailing. I, was, so. I thought she sounded like uh, Bono there at the beginning. I don't know why. A little that, bit. She's that, hitting those high notes. Yeah, that, that just kind of like wordless wail that she does over the music at the beginning. Totally. I don't know why it reminds me of Bono in his leather jacket on a rooftop. Uh, he singing, tends to do that. To, yeah. <laughs> singing into the clouds. Uh I actually like this song. I think this is a, one of the strongest songs on the second on the B side of this disc. Um, uh, part of it, the music I do find kind of fascinating. I think it's I think it's some of the more interesting music on the album. Um, as, as far as getting pretty experimental and going some pretty interesting places, uh, and the lyrics are pretty bonkers. Um, the whole like if you can if uh, if I if you can see me, I can see you is like a is it like a very creepy way of thinking about the like omnipresence of a God. Um, and the song itself is definitely pulling up that um, the hypocrisy of religion of a person of power. He's kind of re- replaying those themes of the, of the title track of the album. Um, I'm a spirit of greed, the Lord of theft, burn all your books and problems they make. Uh, I, I, there's some pretty cool, pretty cool uh, epic lyrics going on in this song. Um, so I do enjoy it, even though it's not a, it's the least typical song structure of the whole album. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I do appreciate the fact that, um, uh, how it's more like an art piece rather than that traditional song structure. Um, I really do like the drum work quite a bit on this song. Um, and it's really not meant to be catchy. It is really meant to be kind of an art piece, um, which David Bowie loves to kind of throw those around from time right. to time. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not one of my favorite tracks on the record, but I do appreciate how it is trying to be uh, uh, slightly more, I don't know, experimental and than what we've kind of seen so far on the record. Um, and it does kind of lay down the the train tracks for, I think, Blackstar, but maybe having a little bit of the uh, um, catch to the past to the house music that he seemed to really enjoy uh, house and drum and bass part of Earthling, you know, that, that right. part. Yeah. And, and I think that I guess that does have a home here because while this album is not uh, kind of like a David Bowie, this is your life. I think that they do do a decent job, whether intentional or not, of covering on a couple of different song types that you'd find on previous David Bowie albums. So this has a home here uh, being kind of a a nod towards that direction. Um, Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. He's definitely hitting some archetype, David Bowie archetypes 
on this. Um, I think I, and I, like I said, the lyrics do it for me. I, it's this dark, some of his darkest lyrics on the album and just painting the picture of how terrifying the idea of God can be. Um, so yeah. So you, do you feel that this is one of the stronger songs on the record, Eric? Cause I feel like you're probably one of the more, uh, out of the three of us that appreciate kind of the art jazzy stuff more so from David Bowie. Yeah, I, I, I do think it's just one of the stronger second half of the album, our songs on the second half, but um, I, I think the album opens super strong as well. I just I just really appreciate it, and it's the definitely the strangest song on here, which automatically endears it to me. Let's go to the next track, which is uh, track I'd Rather Be High. High starts with a little guitar lick that goes uh, happy birthday to you. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know why. I feel like that little guitar li- riff makes me think of happy That's birthday. A, is that the one that? Yeah, yeah. I kind of yeah. <laughs> see what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know what it is about that, but I don't like it. Uh, that uh, There's a particular bounciness to that that sounds too much to me like a. Uh, I don't know, a Saturday morning cartoon show or something. And I love, I love positive Bowie. I love Saturday morning cartoon shows, but for some reason I can't just get down with that. that I agree. Um, Weirdly enough, there's and we're going to get into it next time, but there's a remix where they overdo that, overdub that with a harpsichord. Um, That seems to work better if that's a thing, but um, yeah, as it is on the album, it's it's kind of jarring for me as well. So, yeah, this is actually also my least favorite song on the record. Um, again, it's not just because of how like soaring and positive and upbeat that it is. It's just um, it's just kind of goofy, you know, um, it, it, lyrically, it just doesn't do much for me. Uh, there's this song um, also reminds me that this could fit perfectly off reality. And maybe that's why. Yeah. Um, you know, there's some good songs off reality. I know that we're kind of slagging on that one, but it's uh, this song is just a little too pop and just too forgettable. Yeah, I, I would say the lyrics aren't super positive necessarily. Um, you know, the chorus, I'd rather be high, I'd rather be flying. I'd rather be dead or out of my head than training these guns on those men in the sand. It's a, you know, it's a there. There's two things going on in the song. There's a straight narrative about a. Um, you know, just like a soldier or being, you know, around these stressful, violent situations and, and um, you know, wishing for a break in reality and how we all look for those breaks in reality when things get to be too much. Um, and then he laces it with all of these literary references um, to books and novels and poems and stuff. And uh, uh, and the uh, the pushing ahead, the Dame website kind of posited that that he's like, um, that's what he does. He gets lost in books. That's Bowie's escape. And um, so the, the lyrics don't actually bother me in this song. I think they're 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 kind of cool. Um, and I definitely relate to that. I feel like after a hard day of work when I'm playing like D&D with 
my brother and some friends like over the internet, I really get into it a little bit more after a really particularly stressful day at work. But so you, can I, say, you can say the same thing about, a, you know, we're not creating fiction here or maybe we are. It's the same thing about doing this podcast together, you know? Sure. Uh, right. Yeah, definitely, definitely a break. And so I, I think I connect to the lyrics, but the music, um, I find too, just too TV. So you yeah. kind of think there's a little dissonance then between like the positivity of the music, but then the kind of downtrodden feeling of the, of the lyrics. Yeah. And, and it's not totally downtrodden. It is like celebrating that escape that we all need. But, um, I think that the uh you know if the song maybe is about imagination and the power of it when we need to get escape reality then maybe the music should have been more imaginative should have been more interesting and i just don't find it goes there so yeah dissonance would be a good word for that for that reason quick your quick uh, a top five but we're going to give your number one so your number one what's your number one fictional escape my number one fictional escape. Um, like, give me an example. So you start then and I'll follow your lead. Oh, fuck. I was, I, I was going to think about it for a second. I was, I, I think it, it depends upon how tired I am. Mm-hmm. Um, if I've got a lot of energy, then I can get lost in a stack of comic books and, or, um, or, you know, a good game, like a board game or, or video game even, or, or like, a well, I actually was going more for, a franchise or a type of like, Oh, okay. So like for Mark, like, listen, if I were to answer for Mark, his answer might be star Wars. Yeah, the star definitely. Wars but I think lately I've been really falling into star Trek. I, I pretty much watch an episode a night now. Uh, so, but yeah, I think I would agree with you. I mean, star Wars is that's, those are films where you kind of have to sit down and really devote a lot of time to it. Um, whereas if you just want to kind of get a little bit of an escape, um, I'd probably say Star Trek. It helps me wind down for the day. I don't know what it is, but it just does. Uh, that's, that's great. And uh, thank you for setting me up there. And we'll get back to our answers in a second. But did you both watch the new Picard trailer? I did. Um, it was nice to see some of the old familiar faces. I didn't get as emotional as some of the folks on the Internet did. Um, but I do feel that uh, it'll be nice to maybe potentially right the wrongs of how that cast got sent off into the sunset with Nemesis, which it's not a terrible movie. It just needed to be executed better. Yes, let's just be specific. To be clear, perfect ending to the TV show. But the last time we saw them in the movie verse, not that great. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 All good, all good things is a hell of a finale. Oh yeah! Uh, anytime you bring Q into the equation, I'm I, I'm pretty fan. I'm a big fan of, uh, of exactly. I am I am hoping that he pops up on this show somehow. Yeah, yeah. Eric, Eric, what do you think? I haven't watched the trailer yet. No, I mean, um, <laughs> oh, what's your shit. what's your answer? Uh, oh yeah, um, actually, it's it's yeah, it's a it's a pretty giant break from reality. I. I will uh, often just zone out on like Batman, the animated series or some of the DC animated stuff from uh, like a decade and a half ago. That, that's a that's a good escape for me. Yeah. I think mine probably. Well, I don't have as much time to devote to them as I used to. I want to I want to veer towards the comic book world, but I just can't like I used to. In my old age, I need to it, I, I hate to say it like I go back and I. I read through my, my digital comic books that used to be paper when I have time. But, um, 
these days it, it's usually returning to the TV shows that I already really enjoyed. Um, and even though I've been talking about it many times on this, this show, as I've slowly been working my way through all of breaking bad and now better call Saul, it's basically just Vince Gilligan's universe of TV shows of I, as I've watched the better call Saul again. Now I watch every episode twice and I've seen every episode twice. So I'm watching these things like four times an episode now. Uh, that's just uh, that's a place I like to go. So your escape is basically just reality, except you make meth. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I can't remember. I had this revelation a few nights ago late. Did I tell you guys that uh, I've decided that there's factories out there that make certain type of humans? And Bob Odenkirk and Les Claypool definitely came from the same factory. Yeah, I can see that. Oh. You guys kind of okay. see that? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll roll. I will roll with it for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Just, you know, like, like, yeah, probably good at telling a story, using their hands a lot when they talk, yelling. Um, it's a, it's a, just see, there seems to be something there. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, what, what is the next All song? All right. Let's go to the next track, which is Boss of Me. Tell me when you're sad. I wanna make it cool again. I know you're feeling bad. Tell me when you're cool again. Yes, boss of me. Tell me when you're cool again. That's an interesting line that comes up in this song. And it's one that I think of a lot in this life that people might say about me behind my back, which, uh, <laughs> you know, was I ever cool? I'm not sure, but I sure as hell ain't now. But it's interesting that uh, one of the old guard uh, sings about that on this track. I, I would like to expand out from uh, from that. Uh, the context of that line, I think, is great. It's actually that is actually the the four lines that I that I jotted down from this song that I really enjoyed. That was one of them. Um, I mean, the song is about um, you know just how love controls you, and actually, you become fixated on the emotions of the person you're with. And um, I mean, even in married life, you know, we always are thinking, how will they react? to this. And I'm not saying you guys are like, um, shuddering in the corner. I'm not saying I am either. <laughs> sure. <laughs> nice. <save. laughs> yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but, um, but like, you know, the line, tell me when you're sad, I want to make it cool again. I know you're feeling bad. Tell me when you're cool again. It's like you're, it's trying to get the, the boat back to the even keel. It's trying to, it's trying to, it's trying to get everything, you know, everything back to being cool and, uh, and, and calm. Um, it, Anyways, it's definitely learning to read your wife's temperament and how to uh, module. No, no, let me no, Let me be fair here. Spouses that have to learn how to live with each other and understand when the other person's uh, high or low. That's uh, something that it takes skill and it takes time with somebody to, to figure out. And it's definitely right. uh, being cognizant of the other's uh, situation, how they react to things is a, uh, it takes effort. And when you really love somebody, you'll, uh, you'll, you'll try to pull it off. So that's a, that's a good point, Eric. 
Yeah, and yeah, exactly. And he's just he's just taking that one aspect of a relationship and kind of, you know, decompressing it over over a song. Um, the chorus, you know, I you know, who would ever thought a, a small town girl like you could be the boss of me? Um, you know, he might be talking from real life, or he maybe he just really understands that part of a relationship, and he's just kind of building a song around that. Um, but uh, the the music's pretty simple um, to this song. It doesn't do a lot to me, but yet somehow I find myself singing that damn chorus over and over again. So there is a, there is a an earworm aspect to the song that makes me not hate it. Um, I kind of enjoy it. Well, it's got that one aspect of it. There's like a uh, there's 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 there before the second chorus. There's that part where it's like who'd ever thought of, and then a sax section. Oh yeah, who'd have dreamed. Yeah sax section there's some uh there's some good sax on this track so i get i'll give it that much yeah a little baritone blast yeah i i also <laughs> made note of that i also enjoy gail and dorsey's bass playing i believe it's gail and dorsey it could be tony levin for all i know um i didn't really research it but i only i do know that there's some excellent bass playing going on on this track is there some slapping and slapping and popping going i mean on both this of them can are more than capable um what track number is this this is track nine. nine. I think it is Tony Levin on this one. Um, okay. So I kind of understand what you guys are both saying. Of course, David Bowie maybe singing how cool and uh, iconic that he is, that he's got someone who basically can rule over his own emotions and his own actions instead of him being aloof to anyone else. Um, not necessarily like the person that, and might not be autobiographical. It could be just a, concept and a character that he came up with but it does make sense and um you know where you feel like i'm such an independent individual i don't have to worry about doing anything that could potentially hurt others but then you feel like well i can't do this because that would negatively affect that person you know i know that a lot of us Mm -hmm. when we just try to make time for our stupid little project here we always do check with our wives to make sure that we're not you know I wouldn't necessarily say ignoring them, but, you know, just so that we're not like if they had in mind to just have a quiet little family night. And here we are, three knuckleheads talking about, you know, music. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Let's 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 be honest here. Uh, Yes. In the the Norman Rockwellian version of our lives, there's that or they just want to know when they're going to be the only ones that are watching the kids. Could be that, too. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, my kids are kind of on autopilot now, so I'm good. But. <laughs> uh, you say, yeah, exactly. Look out the window and Lennox is doing donuts in the, the goddamn front lawn. <laughs> uh, but hey, I, I want to throw this out there. Uh, when viewed through a platonic lens, perhaps this be another tribute to Coco Schwab. Could be. I don't know. She's, oh. she's, she's kind of she's kind of been, you know, shaping and molding him for a while and, 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 you know, being in charge of his day to day, you know, I don't know. Anyways, there you go. <laughs> Probably not, but why it's fun to think about. Yeah. I mean, it, I, it, sometimes the simplest answers are the correct answers. So you never know. Yeah. Right. Midway through the track on this one, there's a, 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 a momentum change in the song and he starts singing about the sky and the stars. It's a very uh, beautiful part. So keep an ear out for that, dear listeners. Yeah. So right. it's a good track. Um, so I think we uh, all kind of agree on that one. So I think we should go to the next one. Yes. The next track is uh, Dancing Out in Space. 
And this song makes me feel like I should get up and go clean my house. So that's what I'm going to do while Eric and Mark talk about it. So that was Dancing Out in Space. Um, it's not one of my favorites off the off the record. Uh, the singing style is certainly interesting. It uh, kind of just follows along to like it's being telegraphed uh, from or he's reading a telegraph. Um, probably my favorite part of this song is the wee wee ah, you know, that synth line um, is probably my favorite. Oh, part. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's... Uh, kind of tedious it's not my favorite eric what do you think i don't it's my least favorite song on the album yeah um i i hate to say it but the music the is giving me like tin machine flashbacks there's just (laughs) i don't know why there's just something at at, like you said tedious and also uninteresting at the same time going on with the music um i think the second half of this album does suffer from not necessarily low points, but just not the d- dynamic music of the f- the front half of this album. Um, and, but I never think any of the songs go into bad territory. Um, a little bit on the on I'd rather be high, and definitely on this song. Um, that being said, I do love the lyrics. The lyrics are about um, is looking at death as a as rather as something to fear, but rather a peaceful moment. And it's just kind of looking at that last moment of life and give and transitioning into death in a in a kind of a beautiful way. And I think it's told um, it's about drowning, like somebody's drowning, but they're comparing it to to just floating in space and that the tranquility of floating in space. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, um, that that's actually interesting imagery considering the you know ground control to Major Tom. So that's that's interesting connection to make, Eric. And uh, I'll disagree with you. That the second, I mean, I know you're not saying the second half is bad, but I think there is some dy- dynamic musicianship to be had, and we'll get there in the next two tracks. But um, yeah, the song's just kind of there. Uh, super friend of the show, Paul Radke, actually name checked it as a song he's a big fan of. So sorry, Paul. But uh, yeah, th- this one it doesn't do a whole lot for me. But Eric pointing out that it's kind of about accepting a peaceful death is interesting considering the guy died a few years later. And also since I've been like old enough to understand that I have to die one day every once in a while. And by that, I mean probably like once a week I say, I I like think, I think Jesus Christ, when I die, I hope I I can accept it without terror. So that's good. uh, That's good content. There you go. Yeah. 
songs not without merits. And and I didn't I didn't mean there wasn't dynamic songs in the second half. I just meant the first half seems to be banger after banger. And uh, this one's got some lulls, uh, yeah, this, but that's not a bad thing. Sometimes you got to let an album breathe. So. You know, I, I, I was about to agree with Eric thinking that this album was a little more front loaded, but I think that you're right. It had kind of a uh, one through five um, that was pretty solid and strong. And then it tends to get a little more sporadic towards the end. But I do think that uh, there are some really strong songs uh, still to be found in the back half. And let's talk about one of them, which is how does the grass grow? So that was How Does the Grass Grow? And I'm always a fan of a song that's a question. I just decided that today when I said that out loud, but I think I like it when songs do that. And I'm also a fan of a song that I think could have been found on Scary Monsters, which is what this song uh, shouts out to me. What do you guys think of this track? I think it's another interesting one. Um, it. I enjoy the kind of fifties doo wop with the, the yeah, 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 yeah. During the, how does the grass grow? Blood, blood, blood. You know, that part. Yeah. Do you kind of get a, a, a super grass yes, vibe it, from that? I do. I do. And, um, kind of a Brit pop, but it does kind of remind me of like just those fifties rock songs, um, that, uh, you would hear at Mel's diner because it's a higher register in those. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah's. And I think that's a male singer. Could be Gail. I don't know. Yeah, and the yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a yeah, 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 exactly. yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. For exactly. Um, it does have a similar singing style like uh, in Dancing Out in Space where I didn't really care for that, but it kind of works over here. And I also like the organ pounding. It seems like dun, 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 dun. Um, song has a lot going on, but it all seems to work a little bit better than what it did in dance, dancing out in space for me. Well, well, the difference between this and dancing out in space is that, I mean, it starts out with that dun, 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 and it's just rocking from the start. And, uh, I think that's what it got. It's a good rocker. It's a persistent rocker. And it kind of takes me back to scary monsters a little bit. There's kind of some psychic folk going on a little bit, but then, you know, you get these slick guitar riffs in between the choruses in the next verse, which are probably Earl slick. And he's also kind of channeling Robert Fripp with the, it's not nearly as wild, but he's definitely trying to be a slick version of Robert Fripp for lack of any kind of other term there. And uh, I, I dig it. I did the, the way this whole song is pieced together. It goes, 
from that fifties doo-wop to some experimental scary monsters, guitar work to like a synth squelch here to for one moment, there'll just be another like organ pound, bass pound locked into each other. It has a lot of movements to it. Uh, the song has many sections and I, I just, uh, I'm a, I'm a big fan of this track. It's a, it's a very deceptive rocking track. It rocks more than you think it does. And then when you notice how much it's rocking, you realize, holy shit, there's like five songs in this one song. So I'm, I'm digging it. So yeah, there's some Robert, there's some Robert Frippage going on there. And there are just songs within songs where when you realize how hard this song rocks, you might then realize that this song has like five songs within it. So I'm a big fan. Uh, Eric, how do you feel? Yeah, I, I, I do like this song as well. Um, you're right. There is that, there is that really like chugging along rocking thing that kind of reminds me of when he's been particularly inspired by, you know, Velvet Underground. Not that this song sounds like it, but just that kind of repetitive dun, 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 dun kind of thing. Um, until it gets to that doo-wop chorus, which I just, I, I it's infectious. And I do see the Scary Monsters connection. Um, at, at this part, I can't remember what was the damn Scary Monsters. What was his cover that he did, the Breaking These Chains? What song is that of Scary Monsters the, that I said sounded like? The Tom Verlaine song, right? The Tom Verlaine song. Yeah, the Tom Verlaine song. Yeah, Kingdom Come that I thought sounded like Labyrinth. I, and this one, I made that connection too. It doesn't sound like it, but it's just that one Labyrinth song where he's doing that doo-wop high pitch stuff that I think all three of these kind of are, are, are cousins. Of Chili that would be, um, that would be a fun project to go through and find the Bowie doo-wop tracks. I bet you, you could make a whole album out of it through his whole career. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, uh, this song is also looking at kind of the, the circle of life and just, um, you know, boys dying in the mud and then blood and then grass growing from the blood and just like, you know, life, death and rebirth, that whole, that whole kind of thing. It's spread out. Um, uh, it's kind of spread out over the, over the track. Uh, but most of it is just redoing the, the chorus. Um, and uh, I, I enjoy it. I think it's, I think it's a good one. It's a, it's a very engaging song. Yeah. Um, I concur. I mean, like I had mentioned before, uh, this one took me by surprise. I thought, uh, I was not going to really like it kind of how it started and kind of the singing style, but, uh, there definitely is a lot going on, which keeps my interest high. So with that, there are some, there are some connections to, uh, war and soldiers dying in this song, just like in, I'd rather be high. And, um, though there, there's always some sort of military skirmish going on, um, you know, Bowie did watch a fair amount of it, uh, during his off time that he didn't get to express himself. And I wonder if this, there's some holdover from that. Oh, he'd have, he'd have a lot to say about days like today where, you know, we're just telling the, uh, we're just telling Syria that uh, we're going to let, you know, everybody go fuck themselves. So yeah. anyhow, yeah. well, he, for, he foretold Trump with his black star character. So the flim flam artist. Yeah. The flim flam artist right. is trying to get, you know, trying to get promises and favors from the Ukraine by strong arming them. And then we catch on to him. So he destroy, he, he decides to destabilize the goddamn whole fucking world order by uh, letting the, you know, the entire nation get slaughtered by with, with drawing troops. It's a interesting day. Anyhow. Yes. <laughs> Depressing. Sorry. Oh, right. <laughs> so with that, so, <laughs> you know what? Actually, no, fuck that on that note. 
let's talk about you will set the world on fire, which I think makes me think that David Bowie was looking towards the future generation and looking towards the people that might make a difference. Let's spot on. Take a spot on. Take a listen. Midnight in the village, see the lights of candles from dinner and to gaslight. Buyers leaves the stage, old stage notes when the black and guitar burn together all in rage. You've got what it takes. You say too much. So when I listened to this track, I was uh, listening to it again tonight when we were doing the second version of this track, and it really made me feel like he was singing about a person like uh, Greta Thunberg, the young teenager who is pissing off a lot of people because she tells the truth about the mess that our climate is. And that's the kind of person I think the song is about. I love a song where an older states person is telling someone that's coming up that they're going to be the one that helps make a difference. And when it rocks as hard as this, well, that's a one-two punch. I'm a big fan of this track. Yeah, this song is the rockinest song on the album. It's 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 a lot of fun. And uh, you're you're right exactly about the, the what the song's about. And it's cool how he does it because the verses are about the Greenwich Village like '60s folk scene, um, and the and and just kind of describing some Bob Dylan types and some others. And then the the hooks are timeless. Um, if you if you put it in the context of the story, the hooks can be from like a manager saying, "You got the goods, kid. You're going to set the world on fire." But if you tap into what he's really singing about, it is the the you know, when the next generation has something to say, it's more powerful than anything that came before it. And, uh, and then when you look at it through that context, yeah, the, the, the hook's great. And it is, it's a, it's a, it's a vision of, of, of hope for the next generation. It's a great song. It's really, it's really fun. Yeah, I agree. This is probably the hardest rocking song on the record. Um, if memory serves, I think this is the only song that even has a uh, guitar solo. It's a short one, but it's there. Um, I enjoy the big choruses, the snarky delivery as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting that it, uh, consistently brings up, uh, folk singers, um, Pete Seeger, uh, Joan Baez, I think it's Phil Oak, uh, Oaks, um, and then Kennedy, David, David Van yep, Ronk. Yep. Yeah. So, um, it's interesting because obviously Bob Dylan came out of that folk scene and then he essentially set the world on fire. But it seems to be more about a uh, when the black girl and guitar burn together hot and rage, you've got what it takes. I wonder if it is like if he had a central character in mind that who he was talking about as he was writing the song, uh, because there's so many historical figures that are peppered throughout the lyrics. I think you're right. I think. Um... You know, I think it is these people that 
clearly were about to set the world on fire, but then they saw, you know, they saw something in her that was, that was even different and more, or maybe they were already setting the world on fire and they saw, you know, even further, um, promise in this, um, this singer, this, uh, this, uh, black female singer, um, who clearly has, uh, maybe even more ownership in revolution. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but yeah, no, I think it's a good, that's a good catch there, Mark. Uh, but yeah, this is a, this is a cool song. It's a, definitely an inspiring one. And it's just, I'm trying to figure out who it could potentially be about, you know? Um, I, I don't know if there's enough clues in the song in order for me to like suss that out. Um, cause I think at David Bowie, if he was essentially tipping his hat to a, a certain artist, I think he would yeah. probably be a little bit more. Right. So um, there is a pushing ahead. The Dame speculates that this it's about this singer named Odetta. Oh. Um, she just went by. She went by her first name and she was um, managed by Albert Grossman, who was Bob Dylan's okay. manager at the time. Um, so that's 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 who it could be about. Um, it, she could it could be about her, but really it's about a, you know, oh, a thousand sure. other things that she represented. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Uh, that's cool. Um, Steven, did you have anything else to add on this one? No, I just really like it. I, I think it, it's got a great pace. It's a good rocker. And, um, and uh, I, I'm glad that in his twilight, he, he put out a good rocking song like this. Um, cause you know, there weren't many songs left. So, and you know, it's funny. I think throughout his career, he is often supportive of the next generation in some of his low points, <laughs> like, like, uh, you know, ne- uh, you know, when he was making his, like, never let me down when he was making his diss track to Madonna, uh-huh. um, he wasn't so supportive of it, but, um, I, I, I like that he's, he's back because he truly did, you know, inspire, even if we don't like some of their music, your lady Gaga's of the world or whatever, your, your next, your next generation of pop musicians. He definitely did inspire them and he's definitely being supportive in uh in this particular track so well excellent well let's go ahead and go to the penultimate track on this record and it's you feel so lonely you could die moving through the dark leaving slips of paper somewhere in the park Hidden from your friends Stealing all they knew Lovers thrown in airless rooms Then vile rewards for you Well, I'm gonna tell Yes, I've gotta tell
This is a uh, interesting track. It's uh, definitely, you know, given a call. It's an Elvis homage. Yeah, they're they're both born on the same day, and uh, uh, David Bowie has mentioned before that he's a fan, as uh, as am I. And um, it's an alright track. I'm a big fan of the persistent marching band drum that goes through this. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? And I oh, think yeah. um, they purposely yep. use the five years drum beat during the outro. They do. And I, I think that this, this song, my only grievance with it is it has a good amount of rising action, but the rising action never climaxes. But I think that's by design. Yeah. I can almost see this um, fitting on uh, Neon Bible. It's a, it's a very arcade fiery type song for me. Oh yes. And if you like the arcade fire and you didn't listen to last week's episode, please do. There you go. <laughs> always, always, always good. Always good with the, uh, the, the flat, the pomp and that's right. And flash there, Steve. Appreciate that. Yeah. Sometimes even at the, you know, at, at the expense of good conversation. Oh, so you know, saying, I think Mark? that this song is, uh, I do like this song. Uh, I think it has a great vocal performance. The choruses have a great little hook. Um, it's, it, it starts a little slow, but I think it starts to get sweeping as you kind of go further along into the song. Um, yeah, I wouldn't sleep on this one. I think it's a good one. I concur with Mark on this one. Um, I'm a, I'm a big fan. Um, actually, as far as like, as far as I'm concerned, um, the last track through the end of the album, it really becomes a one, two, three punch for me. Um, as far as a great, a great way to close it, even though I said it's top heavy, I didn't really mean that, that there's no, there's no high points in the second half. Um, it's just kind of different and it becomes a little bit more reflective and and more like subdued, but in a great way. Um, the last song is a rocker and then you get two, two kind of, um, more subtle nuanced songs to close out the album. This one's got, you're right. It's got a little Elvis, a little Elvis connection. Um, it's also got a, uh, it, it's got a, like a guitar riff that reminds me of your like sleepwalking, um, also fifties kind of, dun, 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 one of those kind of like walking guitar, yeah. reverby guitar things. Um, I, and I think it's a sweet song. I get caught up in it um, quite a bit. I like it a lot. A lot of connections to uh, kind of being a, you know, he's he's, he's talking about himself quite a bit in the song, um, being a seer, being a prophet, um, but um, but just being an unsatisfied prophet. Uh, and um, anyways, I uh, I like this one. I think it's a good a, a good uh, almost closer, but not quite. All right, so we'll go on to Heat, last track. Mission is dark, trapped between the rocks, blocking the waterfall. The songs of dust, the world would end. The night was always falling The peacock in the snow And I tell myself I don't know who I am And I tell myself 
I don't know who I am My father and the prison My father and the prison Ah, yes, Heat. Another ballad kind of closes this record. Um, I'm a big fan of this song. It, it, I think it, it, it could be a good uh, sequel to uh, what's that track earlier? That's uh, Love Is Lost. They do a yeah. good, good one-two punch. You guys hear that at all? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. This song has atmosphere for days. Yeah. It could be in the movie Heat, for God's sakes. It could. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, it could be. It could be on in the Berlin trilogy with all the atmosphere that's going on in this song. I, I like this track. It's, it's interesting. He talks like, what is he talking about? Like, he, he's singing about like a guy that's had issues with his father or, or, or some such, but well, I don't think he's singing. He's not singing about his dad. No, he's not. Um, so he's making some connections. I think a big hint is the first line. He references um, uh, Yukio Mishima, uh, the Japanese poet who um, died of a suicide. Um, he was a, he was a gay man that um, like died in the closet, basically. Uh, in Japanese and he was a huge influence on Bowie. Um, and I think he references other things that basically imply just the tragedy of being uh, trapped in your own mind, not being able to truly be free. And I think that's what this song is about. Um, so it's not just about this poet, but he definitely references him among other things of just people being trapped. Um, and yeah, you're right. Uh, you're right. He does reference a father. You know, I, I, I uh, what does he say? I live in my father's prison. Um, yes. my father built this prison it's it's, it's great and that um you know just kind of kind of implies that you're that you're that you're trapped by the customs um you're trapped by the beliefs of your your parents or your culture or or whatever um yes, I, I, live, I live in this prison and it's it's got you know there's some some string work there that kind of gets room to breathe and, and echo you know Visconti it's, it's killing good. it on the string arrangement killing it yeah, there's some good string arrangement on this one. The way that they let things kind of echo, they he sings a line and it gives it room to breathe and go off into space. This song kind of gives me the same um, closing qualities of a track I've always really liked, which was uh, Soundgarden's Boot Camp off their album Down on the Upside. Which it it it, it, it they, they, they the whole song kind of sings about being trapped and it never really uh, the the freedom that the guy wants never really comes and everything kind of drifts off into the distance without a big climax and uh, Mark do you see that parallel at all I do I certainly do um, I I'll just agree with you. Um, I think you said it better than I could probably articulate. Do you like the song, Mark? Oh yeah, no, I'm a big fan. I think it's a great album closer. If anything, it really helps bridge the gap between uh, what we just went through and now we're going off into the Black Star. 
Um, I think that uh, this is not a traditional song structure, very similar to um, shit. What was that one? Um, if you can see me, but I think that this one just amps up the moodiness rather than having it be uh, so mired in drum and bass. Right. Um, so I, yeah, the lyrics are quite the interesting imagery in terms of the poetry that it's really running. Um, yeah, I am certainly do enjoy this song. It's a very a contemplative, reflective song. I could only love you by hating him more. That's not the truth. It's too big a word. He believed love is theft, love and war, the theft of love. Yeah, it's just he's going all out on the on the poetry in the song. Um, I think it's this yeah. album. Uh, like I said, the second half doesn't have the um, four on the floor engagement of the first half, but it does end in emotional satisfaction. I think, um, uh, which I think is is, is a huge plus. Uh, so yeah. So that wraps up the record. We will be talking about some of the extras on a, a later episode. Uh, yeah, there's there's enough there's enough extra tracks, and then a whole other. So there's bonus tracks off this album, but then a whole other a CD called Extra. Uh, they're this, they're right? all on the extras. They're all yeah. they're all on the extras. It's all okay. kind of squished yeah. together. Um, so, but there's yeah, there's a, there's a whole other the whole other album we're talking about. So before we, uh, I, I think tonight we should roll the dice to see where we're going next. We'll come back next time, talk about the extras. And then after that, talk about whatever we get when we roll the dice tonight. But first, how do we rank this album? I would give it a four out of five bolts. I think that uh, I was going back and forth between giving it a 3.5 to a four. But I do think this is, for me, a pretty strong record. Um, I think it's on par with how strong maybe maybe a little bit stronger for me than Black Star. I know that Black Star is a kind of a uh, it's hard to really determine how I could rank that one. But I think there's more songs on here that actually I wouldn't mind if whenever they come on uh, shuffle, I, I stick with them. Uh, so, yeah, I give it four out of five. Well, there, there's definitely more. um songs here than there is on black star. And I don't mean that in a mean way, but there's more rock songs on this album, black star. Like we said uh, earlier in the episode, which might've been yesterday, it's hard to separate the album from the man's death. And also it is a piece unto itself. It's a unique artistic object. It's not a rock record like this one is. Um, Eric, what do you think? Uh, I actually am going with Mark's first instinct three, three point five for me. Um, and I do like a lot of the songs on here. I never, I'm never not enjoying myself in this album. I just think occasionally the music uh, is not engaging. Um, occasionally, so that's that's what I give this one. I'm gonna give it a 3.5 as well, mainly because I really enjoyed listening to it quite a few times. For some goddamn reason, I can't put my finger on it, but it took me a lot of it took a lot of effort for me to put my thoughts down on paper about how I feel about this record. And I don't know what that means exactly, but for some, for whatever goddamn reason I had to, it never felt like homework, but I had to go back and revisit it more times than I have had to do with any of the other albums that we've talked about. So I could just talk about it. I don't, I don't know. What that I, means, I, I understand, but I could kind of see what you're saying. I've, I had a little bit of trouble to really kind of trying to connect the dots on this one. Um, I just tried to really go with how it, the whole album made me feel. 
And I felt like, oh, this song is actually like connecting with me. I like this song. Oh, this, whoa, look at that, another song. So I just kind of added those up and felt like, yeah, that 0.5 kind of pushed over to the to the four range. Yeah, well, I mean, that being said, once I actually put my thoughts on paper, I, I discovered the uh, Set the Worlds on Fire and, uh, you know, the uh, the Valentine's Days, which I really liked. So I I definitely... Like I said before, when this album first came out, I barely gave it. I was like, oh, I need a Dave, Dave Bowie album. Listen to it twice. Toss it aside. Now, which was what we hope the podcast does, it will be featured more heavily in my rotation. Do you, yeah. guys, do you guys say your favorite songs? Uh, my favorite song was Love is Lost. Um, and uh, Stars Are Out Tonight and Dirty Boys would probably be my, my top three. boy, Dirty Boys, Love is Lost, and Heat. Those are interchangeable as far as my faves. Uh, I, I would go the stars are out tonight, Valentine's Day, and how does the grass grow? Those are my three. Hey, Lennox, what do you think about the next day? My, I rank it, well, compared to David Bowie albums, I think it's a great album um, in the world, but I'd probably rank it maybe a three out of five bolts. Yeah, did you? Mm-hmm. And what, what, yeah, three what are out your of favorite five songs? And my five favorite songs, it's just a five-way tie, it is... The next day, Dirty Boys. The stars are out tonight. Love is lost and heat. Mm. Now, this you were only five years old when this album came out, but let's pretend like you were a David Bowie fan for life and you thought he was retired. How would you have felt when he surprised everybody with this album? That would have been really good. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would you have been excited? Yes. Yeah, would your eyes have popped out of your head because you were so excited? <laughs> Maybe. Nice. Yeah, that's good. Well, now, hey, I, I do have to ask before we move on. I know he was done touring. But at some point, I think it was like in this year or the next year, he did like some charity show where he performed with like Alicia Keys or something. Am I right about that? You know, I don't know. I think, Mark, uh, I think you told me about that. I was just curious if he did any, any of the songs off this album, if any of them ever got the live treatment. I, not that I'm aware of, no. I, I know mean, he was done touring, but I, I'm, I'm just... As far as I'm concerned, like I knew that um, some of the studio musicians were asking David Bowie as they were recording, like, how are we going to pull off some of this live? And he was like, we're not, we're, we're not, we're not, I'm just focusing on making records. I'm not going to perform. And so I, if he did maybe a one-off thing with Alicia Keys, it must have been. No, you're right. And you know what it was, but he did, but it was back in 06. So that was, that was before this ever ever dropped. I, I always remember that. I just couldn't remember the year. Hey Dave, that's a wrap, buddy. That's that. We're done recording for today. That sounded great, man. You, we're, we're, I don't know what you want to call this album. You're sounding great. You're sounding. You're you're back. Dave is back. How do you feel, pal? Well, I I don't know if I ever truly went away. I mean. Well, we could talk a little bit more about this tomorrow, which would be the day after today, which would be the next day. But uh, come on now, Tony. I I have kept my finger on the pulse of things. I did do that song with the TV on the radio. Hell of a song. Hell of a song. Yeah, you're really uh, connecting to the Utes out there. <laughs> so in the spirit of that, I mean, what do you... Uh, is, uh, did, is, are you off the hook tonight? Is, is Linda going to let you just get out and do what you need to do? Or 
are you under her thumb still? Oh no no! Look at me! Look at me! I'm, uh, I I I've uh, I squeezed into some skinny jeans. I got a I I put a tie on. I'm ready to hit the town. Paint the town red. Go see some some of these young bands here in New York City. Uh, you know, get some inspiration. Uh, just kind of rock out to that indie rock sound. You see, that is perfect because Iman is. She tires of me uh, clicking around at the pitchforkmedia.com and talking about all of these hip new acts that we've been hearing about. She says, David, just get out there and go meet them. Go do something. And honestly, I think she just doesn't want to hear me uh, listening to samples of all their music all the time. Tony, isn't the internet incredible? It's it's something. I mean, I remember when you had davidbowie.com. And hey, listen, I would just go on there as a fake username just to, uh, you know, fuck with you every now and then. But hell, man, you, you. One day, Omicron, the nomad soul, will be looked back upon how it should be as the turning point in mankind's interaction with technology and the future. But really, that has nothing to do with the great acts coming to New York City soon. I mean, there are some amazing artists coming and they do really get my hair standing on end don't you oh yeah and that's the great thing about living in the city that never sleeps is uh there's always some great music act to check out and not even a hop skip or a jump away from your apartment all right so here's what we got uh how do you feel about the arctic monkeys ah yes uh irishman i do believe um despite the last meal i had over there I do think they have a couple of good tunes. You can walk briskly down the street humming a few bars. I do quite like them. Yeah, okay. What about uh, The National? Ah, yes. The National. Or, as I would say, they should have stayed local. Because their grasp far exceeds their abilities. I... They... They... They wish they were Elton John, but in reality they're Donovan, if you know what I'm saying. I, I think I do. Um, now, what I don't know is how to pronounce this next band's name. Mugamut MGMT Management? Ah, uh, yes. yes. So, uh, t- t- Tony, you're showing your age, dear friend. Oh, uh, God. <laughs> I, I, do believe it's, I, I do believe it's management. Management. Much, you know, much like main man back in the day. Management. Um, yes, you know, sometimes I, I do think... There is a place for music that you could possibly use to track a soundtrack to some kind of video game for the children where they're driving forward all the time. But while the car is spiraling out of control, they're dancing behind the wheel. That's great. I would like to see them. Uh, put a gold star by them. They're on to something. You got it. Putting it right here on the list. All right, this next band, I think you'll like. They got the song about a girlfriend that looks like a boyfriend that looks like a girlfriend uh, they're called the killer oh, ty- typo negative it's a typo negative <laughs> typo negative you're talking about of course not it's called the killer ah yes the killers well now the killers are okay but at the same time you remember that old chap bruce springsteen don't you i of course yes of course you remember the boss i'd hope i'd hope so no amount of uh that uh, dog street dust of yours could make you forget about good old Bruce Springsteen. Anyhow, the Killers, they they uh, right next to uh, the the those that those roustabouts, the Gaslight Anthem. The Killers really do think they are the next Bruce Springsteen. They 
They ditched their keyboards and they picked up their handkerchiefs. What about Vampire Weekend? Ah, Vampire Weekend. Well, you know, let's see. Have, we've done we've done that track with the TV on the radio, and we do have that that upcoming song with Arcade Fire that we did. Um, Vampire Weekend. That, that seems like the next logical step, don't you think? Makes sense to me. Well, do you have their number? Uh, yes, of course I do. Um, I mean, do you, do you want it now, or just want me to give them a call? Well, why, why are we going to see them at the club and happening to hope we run into them? Why haven't we just called them, Tony? I've told you about this. You are incredibly unorganized. I try to produce your album, pal. Okay, all right, Vampire Weekend. Uh, no, we're not going to see them live, but we are going to hang out with them next time I call them. Uh, okay, what about uh, now? Let's get a little. Uh, hold on, hold on. So, did you put it, put it, Tony? Put a put a lightning bolt by their name. Remember to call them. I want to do that song with them where you play the oboe. <laughs> you don't have to ask me twice to wrap my lips around a woodwind. Uh, all right, what about this? A little different for you. They've been around a little bit longer, but uh, they're called the Yeah Yeah Yeahs. Ah, yes, the yeah, yeah, yes. Have you, you know, I, I am a pretty good man with my haircuts. I've had, I've had the, uh, the all down. I've had the stand up. I've had the swept back. I've had. Ah, the... yes. And when you were in the tin machine, you had the old goat and float. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And you, Tony, you've always been a fan of the perfect butt cut, wouldn't you say? <laughs> it's a, it's a classic, oldie but a goodie. Anyhow, Karen O, that haircut of hers, I quite like it. It's kind of like a helmet that she puts on her head. But below that helmet is just an amazing voice. I could just, I could hear it for years. I would love to hear my voice paired with her helmet of hair and her voice. So, where are they playing at? Yes, yes, they're right around the corner. They're at the old, uh, the old uh, Swingin' Cherries. Ah, because it's honestly, it's between them and Coldplay, and I think we can both say fuck Coldplay. Well, you know, Chris Martin, every time we run into him, he tries to big time me. I won't have it. All he right. Picks my, he picks my pockets. I, I'm with you 100%. All right, let's go. Well, you know, here's, here's the thing. Here, here's the thing, Tony. Let, let's be honest. You know, I think that Chris takes out on me his animosity for that weekend you spent with Gwyneth in Cairo. What can I say? We had fun. She played. She played. She plays a hell of a flute, you know. And uh, Chris can take that any way he wants. And uh, yeah, it was a blast. So uh, let's uh, let's strap on our boots and uh, and hit the road. At uh, Gail and Dorsey, you coming? Gail's coming. All right. Uh, hold on, Tony. We're not even going to talk about the Strokes. Oh, okay. I mean, we can. Yeah, the Strokes have been around. Uh, Strokes have been, you know, around for about 10 years now. What about. year is it? I mean, I, it's 2019, right? 2009. No, sir. It's not. It's 2013, friend. Uh, no, hold on. What What day is it? What, what day is it right now? Uh, well, it's the... Uh, funny enough, none of our wives want to hang out with us on uh, February 14th. It's Valentine's Day. Oh, very interesting and timely. I'll jot that down. Yes, okay, if I look here, the strokes, the strokes. I think we should go see the strokes. 
The Strokes are playing tomorrow at the uh, the Blue Scarf. The Blue Scarf tomorrow, uh, February fifteenth. Tony, that would be the day after Valentine's Day. The day after Valentine's Day. If it's the fifteenth, what is that? What's the next day? Exactly. You've got yourself a bingo. Ah. <laughs> uh... We have fun. Let's 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 do it. Let's get the dice out before any more technical difficulties try to break us apart again. All right, Mark, you got the you got the list up. I got the list up. All right, here we go. All right, if we've, it's, got, if we've it's gotten re- we've gotten most of the low lows out of the way, most of them. So. If it's a if it's a rehash, I'll roll again. All right, four. Still don't know what I was waiting for, and my time was running wild in the That's hunky dory. There you go. All right. That's a fun. That's a good. That's a ignoring what Eric just said. That's a fun, good record to to take a (laughs) take a dive into. I'm liking that one. That means we get to talk about uh oh, the hell's changes changes is um life on Mars on that one. Life on Mars is on that one. There you go. All the is all the young dudes on that one. That's nah, Mata Hoople, my friend. Did you know? I'll, I'll be fucking shit. Oh, you pretty things. Yeah, there you pretty. go. There you yeah. go. God. Same song. Same song. Oh, it's the same song when performed live as a medley. This is <laughs> all right. That's it. Now you're the you're you're you go to the uh, we're gonna kick you off for an episode, and Mark and I'll do the next one together. That's fine. My God, it's time for you to go do your uh, one floor of the cuckoo's nest impression. <laughs> all right. Well, there it is, folks. We got through it amidst uh, Steve talking to us through tin cans, even though I'm (laughs) allergic to the word tin. We got it. So join us next time when we talk about Hunky Dory. Well, Uh, actually, join us next time we talk about the extra tracks off this disc. uh, Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You know what we mean. Thank you. All right. It's it's late. All right. We hope that we brought you closer to pod. Unless you got anything else, Sarek. I love you guys. I'm sorry I embarrassed you tonight. I'll I'll go sit in the corner and I'll see you guys later. Oh, Eric, you'll be you'll be with us on the next one and even on the next one and another one, as David Bowie would say. So here we go. Goodbye, everybody. Not if I could help it. (laughs) 